Welcome to the Mike Litton Experience Podcast. Mike has over 31 years experience in real estate, finance, and investing. He's passionate about being a father, a teacher, a realtor, an investor, and a leader. Everyone has a story, and our passion is to help them tell it. And now, introducing the host of the Mike Litton Experience, Mike Litton. So what can you expect from the Mike Litton Experience? You can expect stories that will inspire, motivate, advice that will sharpen your focus, and expert information on real estate, finance, and market conditions. Jason Wood, Mike, it's so great to have you on the Mike Litton Experience. I really appreciate you doing this, um, and I thank you for your time. So, like we talked about before we hit record, we're all about the story that people have. Everybody has a story, and our passion is to help them tell it. So, with your permission, we're going to start where you where you were born, go all the way through your life story, if that's okay, and then we can talk about some of the cool things that you're doing here in San Diego. Is that all right? Sounds great. Awesome. Yeah. So let's start with where you were born. So I was born in Reno, Nevada. Okay. Yeah. Um, cool grew place. Grew up there. Yeah. It's a great place. Um, I grew up there. I spent, man, I didn't leave Nevada till I was 32, I think. Okay. When I finally moved away. Okay. But born and raised there. Um, Is it the biggest little city in America or something like that? Biggest little city in the world. Yeah. yeah there you go. Yeah. There you go. That's cool. So it's interesting. And if you haven't lived there, you probably don't understand that saying. Never right? lived there. Um, but having lived there, now that saying makes sense, right? Because okay. the city functions like any small town. Okay. And what I mean by that is, in fact, I was just there for Thanksgiving, right? Okay. So you can literally like walk into any restaurant or grocery store or something, and you're you're gonna know like four or five people. Okay. Like instantly. I went and met a couple of buddies for a drink right before Thanksgiving mm-hmm. that I hadn't seen in a little while. And Ran into a guy at the bar I worked with in college, and then oh. as I'm leaving, ran into another fraternity brother of mine that I served with in the National Guard yeah. as I was walking out the door. So literally, like, four people I knew, like, it That's always cool. happens, right? That's so cool. it functions like a small town in that yeah. sense, where you kind of know everybody, yeah. but cool, it operates on a little bit bigger scale yeah. than the smallest towns. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, Reno's a great place. I mean, a lot of great outdoor stuff, close to Lake Tahoe, mm-hmm. close to Northern California. Like, we used to vacation a lot in Northern California, camp and all that stuff growing yeah. up. Um, but yeah, that's where I was born and raised. So, you know, all my school and everything there, um, and, um, went to Reno high school and it was, you know, kind of then like my military journey kind of began. Okay. Um, and I ended up going to university of Nevada, Reno. Uh, what was your favorite thing about growing up in Reno? Gosh, I think my favorite thing about growing up in Reno is, is skiing. Okay. I'm a big snow skier. Okay. Um, so my parents got me involved in that. I think when I was three or four. So it's Heavenly where you go to ski? Heavenly's close. Okay. Um, it's actually not my favorite resort. So Heavenly's in Tahoe. Just it's in Lake Tahoe, so, yeah. yeah. Heavenly's in Lake Tahoe. There's there's a lot of ski resorts in that Lake Tahoe area. Oh, okay. Um, the, one that's, <laughs> the, one that, the one that's closest to Reno is called Mount Rose Ski okay. Resort. Okay. So literally it's like 30 minutes there you go. and you're on the ski hill. There you go. Um, and so like through uh, the elementary schools had like a partnership with them oh, where cool. growing up, during the winter, you got like a day off of school to go up and learn how to ski. That's I mean, awesome. Parents had to pay for it, of course, yeah. but you were excused from school, like I think it was like on Thursdays. Oh, wow. So they started me skiing really young, and then of course I did that program all through elementary school and continued skiing from there, but that's that's one thing I, I totally love. 
Um, That's awesome. Yeah. So what, who was the most influential person to you growing up? Gosh, I would say probably my grandfather. Okay. Yeah, my dad's dad on my dad's side. Okay. Um, really accomplished, very successful in all of his endeavors. Um, but probably the reason he was such a big influence on me is what I heard about him mm -hmm. from others. Wow. And that really resonated with me kind of in my growing years, understanding that, you know, the way that I conduct myself present tense, people are going to resonate positively or negatively with that down the road, right? And have a perception yeah. of me. Yeah. Um, and just everywhere I went and anyone I talked to who knew my grandfather only had praise to wow. say about him. What That's a great cool. man he was and all, the, all his accolades and stuff. And so that had a big influence on me. What did he do? He, um, his business, he actually owned um, a bus line, okay. um, you know, shipping charter buses, you know, shipping people all over the place and um, kind of a long story, but they, they ended up um, becoming kind of a California and Nevada bus operation tour. Okay. And what they, where they really kind of hit full throttle with that um, down the road is, you know, they're busing people in from the San Francisco Bay area to mm -hmm. the casinos in Reno. Yeah. And, and they talk. Yeah. And so they had those bus routes going on uh -huh. and, um, there's kind of a lot to that story. My dad grew up in the business and ended up helping run it and everything else. Um, so that's what he did for his professional career. And then he was also involved in politics. So he is a state assemblyman. Um, Your granddad? My grandfather, okay. yeah, for a few different years. I think it was, I think he did six years, three terms. Wow. Um, and so there's a proclamation named after him by the governor and stuff. And um, But yeah, that's what he did. And then he, um, he was also a pilot just privately mm -hmm. so he's really into aviation mm -hmm. and if you ever heard of the reno air races so he was one of the founding members setting up the reno air races which is a big like if, i don't know if you've ever seen on espn like the red bull airplane that races yeah, yeah, around the yeah, and stuff. Yeah. so they have that there oh wow so it's okay. a race and it's an air show oh kind really of, okay yeah so it's an air race okay so there's different is classes. that the one where they where they where they fly and they have to fly through like these big Yep. Hoops or whatever and, and around stuff and mm -hmm. like they have a, a course kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, okay, I've seen Yeah, so I've, I've seen, seen like some, old P fifty one Mustangs all souped up yeah, yeah, and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. So he was one of the founders of setting up the Reno Air Races. Wow. And um That's cool. Yeah, so it was really cool. And um and he was involved in also getting the University of Nevada moved actually I think it, the University of Nevada originally started in Elko, Nevada, which is way east and getting it moved and set up in Reno. Um, super long time ago. My son's best friend just graduated from there. No kidding. With his master's degree, and he had, and he's got his, he got his master's degree there too. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool, man. That's yeah. awesome. What a small world. Wow. So, so growing up with a grandfather that had such a large profile, and and being a politician and right, what was that like? Um, he was a kid. I didn't know any different. Yeah. He was Papa yeah. to me, right? So. You know, Didn't everybody's um, granddad serve in the assembly? Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have really known that until I got older and, like, started understanding, like, government and things like that and gotcha. learning about it in school. Gotcha. And then my grandfather never really – I don't remember having much conversation with him about it. My dad really was the one who would tell me about that part of his life. Yeah. Because um, I was always asked, like, what it was like working for him in the bus mm -hmm. business and everything else, and that kind of parlayed into um, that. And then – between him and my dad, of course, they knew like all the big who's who mm -hmm. business owners, you know, the owners of the casinos and everything else because they had to work with them. And sure. those, those were the power players in the town at that time. Yeah. Um, so they were very well connected on top of it. So I kind of learned that as I got a little bit older. But 
you know, as a kid, he was just grandpa, right? Like yeah. we'd go camping with them. And um, one of my fondest memories was always like getting his house set up for Christmas. Okay. So I would go over there and we'd help decorate the tree. And he had this really cool train set that we would set up all around the living room, you oh, know, cool. and you know, get to play with the trains yeah. and, and stuff like that. So trains are a big deal when you're a kid. <laughs> they were a big deal. And they used to take us to the train museum. For some of us, it's a big deal now that we're big kids. I know. <laughs> They're cool. They're cool. Um, yeah, that's what we would do. That's awesome. Yeah, it was really fun. That's cool. So you go to Reno High. What was your favorite subject? Oh, gosh. Um, my favorite subject probably was music. Okay. Um, because it was the easiest for me. Okay. Um, so that's probably, like everyone has their God-given talent, mm -hmm. right? So for me, it was music. Yeah. Um, and ironically enough, my grandfather and my dad were really good at music too, so it's inherent, okay. right? Um, but I played the trumpet. Okay. And I started playing it in sixth grade. It was funny. So in sixth grade is when they introduce you to that, right? Mm -hmm. And they assigned instruments in alphabetical order. Well, my last name is Wood, so I'm at the end of the list, right? And my best buddy. <laughs> Did you have the last pick? I had the last pick. Oh, bummer. So, so my best buddy in elementary school had actually been playing the trumpet for two years. Uh -huh. and his last name began with a B. So when it came to him, he's like, trumpet, they're like, done, good. Right. And it got to me, and then, like, the only thing left is clarinet. Oh, my God. And I didn't know any different. Like, I didn't even know what the instruments were at sixth grade. So I come home, and I tell my dad, like, look, I'm going to play the clarinet. He's like, like, hell you are. Oh. You're not playing that damn clarinet. So he came to school with me the next day and talked to the music teacher. He's like, my son will play the trumpet. And that's the end of that conversation. Wow. Yeah. Really? Mm -hmm. So why So why was he, with the, and he played the, did he, he played play, okay, so he played the trumpet. That's what you grew up with. I got you. Okay. That so, um, so then, you know, that's what I learned. Well, that's then, awesome. Yeah. It's kind of a funny story. And then. Um, it's hard to play. I tried to play the trumpet. I tried. I tried to play it again because my kids wanted me. To I tried to play, I, dude. Yeah. My goodness, you know. Anyway, it was. It was. Yeah. It wasn't for me. <laughs> so that was, that was probably my favorite because it was. It was easy for me. Yeah. Like I was always the top chair. I was in the jazz band, the concert band, the marching band. I mean, I was at school at six in the morning. Yeah. Um, for doing all that. Um, but that was that was probably one of my favorites to be honest because, yeah. um, it's interesting. There's actually a kid, a movie my kids like. It's a. Um, Disney movie, I forget, I forget the name of it now, but the guy is a piano player, right? And he's a school band teacher. And he talks about in there, kind of like when you're playing and you really kind of get in the zone, like you kind of go to like this different headspace. Mm -hmm. And um, it's true. It's really true. Yeah. And I just, when I now watching that movie with my kids, and then I think about when I was playing all the time, I'm like, oh my gosh, like mm -hmm. that's such a, re a real thing. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize it really, I don't think then but um looking back it's looking old, back, yeah now i can see 2020 right yeah. um, that's cool oddly enough my my worst and my most hated subject in school was math and i always flunked it and always had to retake it in summer school just so i could get to the next grade level and today you, i you use math all day <laughs> I was just about to say, yeah. you do know being in the mortgage business, you use math all the time. I'm actually right? really good at it. Now, but, <laughs> but yeah, then when you had to learn shapes and angles and, you know, oh, a, wow. a plus Y equals C, and like, I didn't yep. get any of that. But yep. now when it's a practical use, like, I'm actually pretty good at it. But. So I was I was in the mortgage business. I told you I started the mortgage business 31 years ago plus, and um, February would be 32. Um, and I went to school at Redlands Night School to finish my master's degree. And I was at the point I was doing, um, I was incredibly busy in the mortgage business and, and 
doing a ton of volume and all this kind of stuff. And what made me think I could take on, you know, evening classes or whatever, I, you know, I'm probably a little nuts, but you probably know that. <laughs> we all are a little right? So, but I, the one, the one class that I looked at on the itinerary that I was the most intimidated by was statistics, business statistics. I don't know what it was. I don't know. I, you know, maybe it was horror stories in the past that people had told me, whatever. Um, but statistics was just, I was just completely intimidated. After the first class, the professor walked up to me and said, you know, you really could just teach this. Okay. You really don't need me. And I'm like, dude, right? He goes, I, I think you'd be an amazing professor. And he goes, and I think you should teach statistics. And he goes, so if you're not, if you're okay with it, I'm going to have you come up and as we go through this over the next, and it was I mean, four weeks. I think every class was like four weeks, right? And so he's like, he's like, what we'll do is we'll have you come up, we'll have you teach part of the classes, you know? And I'm like, okay, wow. right? Wow. So I, I literally ended up up there. He was with me, of course, but I literally ended up up there and he went to Redlands and said, we should hire him to teach this. The problem was it was a huge cut in pay, right? Yeah. But being in the mortgage business prepared me like I couldn't believe for, for statistics. I had no clue what it was until I got into it, but I literally sat there the first the first uh, class and just went, oh, I got this, right? I mean, it was, anyway, it was Easy crazy. Yeah, here we come, right? It was crazy, you know? Yeah. But it was one of those things where all those years I had been intimidated by that, right? I mean, it had been 13 years since I graduated from high school, and I and I was, you know, here I was all, I had this all built up in my mind, Mortgage business trained me for statistics. It was crazy. Anyway, so that's cool. Kind of nuts, huh? Yeah. Anyway, yeah. So yeah. So you use math every day, all day, every day, right? Yeah. So uh, math was actually a strength of mine in school, in in high school. Um, but it was, you know, anyway. So crazy. So so your worst, so your so your least favorite was math. Your your favorite was music. So you graduate from? Did you play sports? In, I in did. Yeah. High school. Yeah. So I played football and I played soccer. Um, in high school, until I turned 16, my parents were like, you can keep playing sports or you can drive. And I'm like, Ooh, oh. That's an interesting well, choice. Okay, <laughs> easy, I mean, for a 16 year old who yeah. wanted the freedom, yeah, easy day. So I didn't play sports past my sophomore year, wow. which thinking back, I'm like, ah, oh, man, that was kind of dumb. But, yeah. um, but you know, like, hey, I wanted my freedom and is, got yeah. my first job and, right. you know, well, had a car. You started, you started learning how to adult, right? Yeah. So, wow, that's, that's wild. So uh, that's an interesting choice they gave you. So you, so did you have a favorite sport before you stopped playing? You know, I grew up playing soccer mm -hmm. my whole life. Yeah. Um, so I really, really love soccer, and I, I didn't really get into many other sports growing up um, until I got to like, you know, middle school age, seventh, eighth grade, and then I was kind of had some interest in other stuff, and I interested in baseball, interested in football, and I never played it before. So, mm -hmm. um, so I started playing both then. And um, our high school baseball team was like one of the best in the state during the era I was in school. And so the coaches and everything were great and it was hard to make the team. And I had some natural ability with throwing the ball. Like mm -hmm. I just had a cannon for, you know, a young kid. Mm -hmm. And so I did try out for the baseball team and made it to the final cuts. Mm -hmm. not, not even knowing, like I, I was trying out at second base and like during warmups, you know, we'd be in the outfield, you can throw it and step back and throw it and step back and throw it and step back. And before you know it, I'm throwing it from left field to right field, just 
on a laser beam. Mm-hmm. And um, so then I'm out there trying out for second base, and coach comes and he's like, Wood, what, why are you trying out here? You should be in the outfield. Mm-hmm. He's like, why aren't you out in the outfield trying out for the outfield? Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, it's boring in the outfield. <laughs> <laughs> there's no action, coach. <laughs> there's nothing happening. Out there. I'm like, there's stuff going on here. He's like, but I you got a cannon. You should be in the outfield. Yeah. Like he was trying to give me the hint, right? Yeah. I didn't take that. Well, be, being in the outfield, I mean, I played, I played third base. I played outfield, right? Outfield, you're back there and you're, you're, you're backing up the guys on the infield. All the action is where you're watching, right? You're watching all the action take place, right? And it's like, yeah, I don't, I don't blame you. I mean, I they started me in outfield, and then I worked my way to, to third base, you know, and I really enjoyed it. So I don't blame you. Yeah, so that's exactly what I did, you know. Yeah, glad I make the team, but um, well, you tried. I tried, yeah. I tried. So my baseball experience wasn't too long, and and football, I it was probably a blessing in disguise that didn't continue playing because I didn't grow really until after I graduated high school. Oh, really? So I was like, I was the second smallest guy on the team. Like I was just everyone's punching bag, you know? Um, So I could run fast, but it didn't, I was just so small. Yeah. Like I was just the third string and I just get blasted all over the, all over town. So um, I didn't continue. Good for character though. It was good for character. You know what? (laughs) Actually playing football made um, a couple other journeys in my life much easier. Like, like the fraternity I joined, going to basic training, mm-hmm. like because of like doing double days mm-hmm. in high school. Yep. And on top of that, I was in the marching band. So I'd go do two days and mm-hmm. then I'd come back to school at night mm-hmm. for practice all before, I mean, before the semester even started in the fall, I was at school like 12 hours a day for three weeks, you yeah. know? Um, so it really like conditioned my mind. It's amazing like, how it here's what you life. can do. Yeah. 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 And it's, it's yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I, I wasn't, I wasn't the punching bag, but I was I was very 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 good at football, and my freshman year I I went out and they wanted me to play, and I went to my family doctor and the family doctor found a degenerative uh, family inherited thing um, a degenerative degenerative disease in my knees and so I wasn't cleared to play. Oh, wow. It was the best thing that could have happened to me. Sure. Uh, hindsight being twenty twenty, at the time I was devastated. Yeah. Right. Um, but football is a big, big thing to me. I grew up playing it in Oklahoma, and you know we all wanted to play for Barry Switzer, and right, you know? yeah. So um, yeah. So anyway, but um, but yeah, football will prepare you for life. And you know, my my son went out for freshman football, and it's there's actually a story about it on our on our podcast. But he goes out for freshman football. He's never been a football fan before. He didn't even watch it on television. Hmm. And the only the only games he went to were the ones he had to go to because his sister was a junior cheerleader at, at San Diego State, right? Yeah. At Qualcomm Stadium or whatever. And so he comes home and he tells us, and we're kind of like, <laughs> really, right? <laughs> right? And and the first thing I asked him was, I said, "Is there a girl involved?" Because you know all the stupid stuff I ever did in my life, because there was there a girl involved, involved right? Yeah. That I was trying to impress, right? Turned out it was his best buddy David who graduated from the University of Nevada at Reno oh, with his bachelor's and master's degree. David wanted to go out for football and he wanted Michael to go with him, you know, go out with him. So he did, because Michael's a really good friend, David will tell you, he's a really good friend. And so they go out for, for freshman football. They have two-a-days and I, it's real hot here during two-a-days, right? And I know, having done it a lot, that he's probably gonna need me at the end of two-a-days. So, so at the end of two-a-days, Friday, Friday night, I go pick him up from, from practice. He slams the door of my brand new F-150. 
Now I have a deal, I have a thing about people slamming doors, period, right? But the the, the, brand, the new brand new truck, I mean, come on, man. And this is my son, right? Yeah. Like, so what's wrong with you? He goes, Dad, I'm mad. I'm like, okay. I'm a backup right guard, Dad. I'm like, okay. I don't want to be a backup right guard. I want to be a linebacker. I want to be a tight end. I want to be a, a wide receiver. Okay. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever played organized tackle football before? No. You think your coaches know that? Well, yeah. It's okay. The way I see it, you've got two options here. One is you can keep whining and you can ride the bench the entire season. Or Monday, when you show up for practice, you can strap your helmet on and you can hit the guy across from you in the mouth. And the next play, hit him harder. And the next play, hit him harder. You can show your, your coaches through your actions, not through your talking, not through your mouth. You can show your, your coaches that you're ready for a promotion. So Monday, I go pick him up for practice. He's just he's a freshman playing JV, right? Mm -hmm. So the varsity coach comes clear across. Mark Carlson's his name. The varsity coach comes clear across. The, Mr. Lee, Mr. Lee, Mr. Lee. Yeah. He goes, who's that? I said, that's my son Michael. He goes, he doesn't play like him. What happened between last Friday and today? I said, well, we had a talk. He said, keep talking to him. Okay. By his fourth game, he was starting right guard, starting special teams starting inside linebacker and had been voted captain of the team. Wow. I'm not joking. Wow. Right? That's great. And so he finishes his freshman campaign as a, a JV, right? They promote him. They have a their, their first playoff game in school history, varsity does. They promote him to varsity. They make him starting special teams. They lose. Okay. They lose their first, you know, playoff game. And so we're driving home from Campo. You know where Campo is? Mm -hmm. Mountain Empire was where the playoff game was. We're driving home and we're fro freezing. Like there was there was literally sleet go going sideways. We were we're trying to thaw out in my F one fifty, my new one, right? Right. We're driving along, Michael's in the back. I said, So are you excited about next year? Because the coaches kept coming up to me and going, We can't wait to make this kid varsity next year. We can't he's just he's so he's got so much promise and he's gonna be a sophomore, right? And I said, You excited about next year? Nope. I asked why? He goes, Dad, I don't want to play football anymore. Playing football made me love basketball even more, and I want to play basketball full-time if that's okay. Now, I never told my kids what they could or couldn't do, right. ever. Like, I never said, you will do this, you, you know what I mean? Right. I told them what was wrong and right and wrong, of course, right? But not what extracurricular activities or what subject to take or what. Whatever they did, they had this rise to our standard. And he's like, I knew I had to give it everything I had. I knew I had to finish strong. But he said, Dad, I don't like getting hit. I don't like being yelled at. Okay, well, welcome to football, right? Right, yeah. That's exactly what happens every day, right? And so he quits football his freshman year, which turned out to be a blessing in disguise because I was cross-eyed and drooling the entire time he was playing. You spend your whole life protecting him. Right. And then you watch people hit him, right? And you're like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, but yeah, I mean, that was, you know what I mean? So, um, so yeah, I know, I know what you're talking about. So, so you go to college. Where do you go to college? University of Nevada, Reno. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. I love it, man. Yeah. Part of the Wolfpack. This is cool. Part of the Wolfpack. So, um, so what do you, what do you major in, in, in college? So my major changed a couple times and actually the, the story getting to Nevada is actually an interesting story. So, um, throughout high school, even before high school, like my dream was to fly F-14s. Ooh, okay. Because I saw Top Gun when I was a kid, and, oh, yeah. and I was sold. Oh yeah. And I mean, I I could still watch that movie 
daily and, yeah. and never get sick of what'd it. What did you think of Maverick? I liked it. Did you? I did, I did like too. it. I thought, I it was thought a, they did a good job. I think they did a good job. I still like the first one a little better. I do too. But um, it was good. I do too. It's a good movie. Um, but that's what I want. Like, every book report I ever did as a kid was on the F-14 Tomcat. It yeah. didn't matter what class it was. I was talking about that airplane. It was, cool. That was my life. So in high school, the other thing it is, I joined the junior ROTC mm -hmm. program and got super involved with that. And as I got more and more interested. Air Force? It was an Army ROTC Army, program okay. at my school. Okay. Um, and we had, I think at the time, we had eight schools in the district. Um, so got involved with that and started excelling in, in the ROTC program and understanding where I was headed dream-wise. Mm -hmm. um, the military academies were really what was going to slot me for what I wanted to do. Right. So that's what I started gearing up for. I started understanding, like, okay, how do I get into the military academy? So playing sports, student government, music, like, you got to do everything, mm -hmm. and you got to do it well. Yeah, you do. Um, and so, and so that's what I did all through high school. I mean, I I did it all um, as well as I could. And um, in ROTC, um, I got up to like the top rank, so I was in charge. I was the brigade commander, so I was in charge of all eight schools. Oh, cool. Um, and with that came um, a military academy nomination. So I got nominated to to West Point. Okay. Um, but I also went in front of congressmen and senators, and I got nominations there too. So as a graduating senior, I was nominated to every service academy. Wow. Um, so I had my pick. Wow. So I fought. That's awesome, dude. So Air Force, Navy, Coast Guard, Merchant Marine, and Army. Yeah. West Point. So. Um, Which one flies F-14s? The Navy. The Navy, okay. So that was my my number one pick. But I, I thought, you know what? If that didn't work out, Air Force kind of be fine because they mm -hmm. fly fighters too. So sure. like either way, I got, a, I got a good chance. Well, at that time in my life, like I'm, I was just a bad test taker and they... They require SAT scores to be, I think it was 1,100 Ooh. combined score. And you can take I as many times that. as you want. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So I That's I a pretty high score. Pretty high score. And I took it several times, and I, my highest was like 1,050. Oh. And I just couldn't get there. And so I remember talking to um, one of the reps, and they were like, what you should do is go to um, the prep academy. Okay. And being 18 and knowing everything in the world right, I thought, and being bulletproof I, um, <laughs> I thought well how, how dare I downgrade myself to a prep academy right you know, that's so beneath me right that's how I felt it <laughs> so um so anyways I didn't I didn't go to the prep academy mm -hmm. and um so I was just kind of bombed and down on my luck and I was like well I'll give this another try and I'll I'll go to college at the local university mm -hmm. and I'll do all the things I knew to do in high school as far as involvement and grades and all the stuff mm -hmm. and I will kick butt at school mm -hmm. and I'll go again right and so I thought okay I'll give it my all I got so freshman year I was in student government played in the university jazz band joined a fraternity had a part-time job took 15 credits got all A's like I applied again congressional nomination Naval Academy Air Force Academy like, bingo mm -hmm. now I'll pick right they come back your SAT scores aren't high enough I'm like, SAT scores? I just knocked it out of the park in college. Right. What are you talking about? Right. Sorry, this is the standard. You either meet it or you don't. Oh, you kidding me. So I was oh. totally bombed. Yeah, you were. I'm bummed just listening to this. I was, <laughs> I'm like, my dreams are shattered at wow. this point. I'm like, what in the world am I going to do? No idea what I'm going to do. And, that would have um, been rough. So I was, I was pretty bummed and... Um, so at the time I had, my major was civil engineering. Mm -hmm. So 
Um, being a guy that hates math, I didn't realize that that was not the right choice. <laughs> um, my best buddy was. Doing I was going to say math. My best buddy was doing similar journeys. So I thought, hey, what the heck? You're smart. I'll do what you do. <laughs> but um, so then uh, around like I think it was that spring semester, or toward the end of that fall semester, my dad says to me, he says, hey, what do you think about um, the Nevada Air National Guard? He goes, a bunch of my classmates went to UNR and they flew at the time it was F4s and the guard there. And my goal was to fly fighters till I was done in the military and then go fly commercial. That was yeah. a dream, right? And he's like, they all did exactly what you want to do. Mm -hmm. And they did it here local. I'm like, so oh, I do. that doesn't sound half bad. Yeah. I said, okay, well, what do I got to do? Mm -hmm. He goes, well, let me see if any of my buddies are still in. He's like, they're all kind of old now, so they might not, but maybe we got a connection or something. Yeah. I said, okay. So calls a few of his buddies and they're all out. Um, he says, oh, but, but, Vonderheide, Steve Vonderheide, yeah, he's still in. You got to give that guy a call. Mm -hmm. My dad went to school with him. Yeah. So he calls him up. Hey, what's up, man? You know, and he's like, hey, yeah, you, why don't you and Jason come down to the base, meet me here this day, whatever. Cool. So we go down to the base and meet him. He's a one-star general in charge of all guard operations for the state of Nevada. Oh, my gosh. He's just dad's buddy from yeah, college, right? Yeah, a bad guy to know. So, <laughs> so I'm like, oh, crap. Okay, that's not intimidating. <laughs> so... Um, Anyway, we meet him, and he gives us a tour of the base. We start talking about stuff and what I want to do and everything else. And he says, well, he goes, the job you really need to have is this, this job here, airfield management, base ops, because you get to engage with the pilots all the time. Mm -hmm. And the way we get pilots here in the Guard is we have a selection committee every year. And he's like, the pilots are the ones on the committee, so you right. want to know them. Yeah. So I'm like, win them over. Sign me up. Sure. He's like, he's like, all right. So we go over there, and we meet the, the section leader and everything. And he's like, you know, we don't have an open spot here. Like, it's we have one too many oh. in that spot. And I was like, oh man, another like roadblock, you yeah. know? And um, so we, we finished going, he goes, you know, let me let me do some thinking on this. He's like, why don't you give me a call in about a week? Okay, okay sir, no problem. Well, in the meantime, I joined the Army ROTC program at Nevada, because they only have Army. Okay. I was like, well, you know, worst case scenario, I'll fulfill my, my desire to serve, mm -hmm. and I'll be in the Army, which I wasn't my top choice, but I was like, probably not going to. But you'll graduate and you'll be an officer. But right? I'll be an officer, so, yeah. right? So um, um, I was doing that program, and they had promised me a scholarship, and then didn't fulfill it. So I was kind of in a pissed off scenario with their ROTC program. Wow. And um, so a week later, why wouldn't they fulfill it? Did they give you a reason? I can't remember anymore. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, they, they did give me like five hundred bucks, but it was supposed to be a bigger scholarship than that. Yeah. And. Um, and here I am, like the top ROTC candidate in the whole county, yeah. coming in like with all my goals and dreams to be a career military guy, right? Yeah. And um, so, anyways, like, this isn't adding up. I mean, it just like... it just was totally fizzling, and I'm like, gosh, like my whole like desire to be in the military yeah. is just literally crumbling. And and then I'm the only person in my family that's ever served, so I didn't have like dad or grandpa or anybody yeah. who had that military experience and kind of knew the path. Yeah. Um. So I didn't have that mentorship, which would have been helpful sure. um, at this juncture. But anyways, that week goes by and um, we call up the general and um, he said, well, I got news for you. I said, okay, sir, what is that? He says, there's now an opening in airfield management base operations. He goes, basic trainings in May, get your ass there. Wow. Wow. So yeah, buddy. I'm like, all right, here we go. <laughs> so that an opening that, that summer, <laughs> <laughs> that summer between my freshman year and my sophomore year of college, I right. went to basic training and yeah. did my tech school, and, and it happened to just fit right in summer break, so I didn't miss a beat with school, came Perfect. right back in, went to school, and 
I started started in the National Guard. Perfect. And doing college at the same time. That's awesome. Yeah. So you did that for how long? So I was in the Guard for six years. Okay. Uh, so went through college, did all that, um, went in front of the pilot selection board mm -hmm. my last three years, three mm -hmm. years in a row. Um, after kind of learning the ropes and what you had to do, like it letters of recommendation, it's kind of an unwritten rule, you need your private pilot's license, so I got that. Um, at the time I was in the military, there was an overage of pilots. Like the military oh. did not need pilots. So they oversupply. So they oversupply and they're <clears> extremely <throat> selective. And one of the guys I worked with in my shop, he was, I think a, a, a year ahead of me in school when mm -hmm. he went to the university also. Um, his dad was an airline, like an international airline pilot. So he grew up around aviation his whole life and um, had his private license. He actually, that summer that I was in basic, mm -hmm. he went to this program in the summer, it was in Sacramento. And it's a school, it's a pilot school, mm -hmm. where it's kind of like a college setup. Like there's a dorm and everything. Okay. I think it costs like 90 or 100 grand. Wow. But they take you from, you had to get your instrument reading, your your um, your single engine instrument reading. Right. So, so he had gotten IFR. that. IFR, yeah. yeah. So he'd gotten that, and that was like the entry requirement, and he, he went there. So in that time span, I think it was about 90 days or so of that of curriculum, he went from single engine IFR to commercial multi engine instructor wow. in that period of time. So now we fast forward to, and then, you know, he's just racking up flight hours. We fast forward to the first pilot board mm -hmm. and he's one of the guys I'm competing with. I'm like, oh, wow. Kind of hands down like he's going to get, but I, I knew that. So I wasn't disappointed. I'm like, this is just, you know, experience mm -hmm. in front of the board and how to interview and all that. So I'm fine with it, right? Yeah. And um, of course he got it. He got the pilot slot and he was a shoo-in for it, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, he had almost as much experience as some of the rookie pilots there, right? Yeah. Um, so he gets it. And so year two, I go up in front of the board and, um, just didn't get it. And I'm like, all right, well, no problem. So year three, I'm coming in and I'm like, all right, well this, I didn't have my license yet. My pilot's license on the second one. So this third one, I'm like, okay, like maybe that's hanging me up. Mm -hmm. So I got it and went in front of the, the board. And interestingly enough, the pilots on that board, there's, I think there was five pilots on the board. One or two of them were for alumni of my fraternity. Oh, okay. And so I had a little more connection there. Yeah. Another one was from kind of like a rival slash friendly fraternity of ours, alumni. And so we all were kind of fraternity guys and would talk and stuff like that. And so like four out of the five, I, I thought I had a pretty good opportunity with. Mm -hmm. And um, that year, I happened to have a fraternity brother at the guard who was going up, up for the slot as well. Gotcha. And uh, so I go in there and I get grilled in this interview. Mm -hmm. I mean, they, they let me have it big time why haven't you deployed to the middle east and this and that and they're just all over me and i'm like well hey like i've raised my i volunteered to go to the middle east mm -hmm. you know they just always needed the, the guy with the next level job skill set that i had right so i was just going my anthrax backs went through all the pre-deployment briefs like i'm ready like, I'm like i got my bag by the door like mm -hmm. i'm ready for the call but just my number not hasn't been chosen mm -hmm. and um they're like oh your your letters of recommendation are all two years old i'm like well the same those people would still recommend me you know like there's an expiration of them they're like well you, you should have current ones i'm like okay. so like i mean they were just all over me right wow so my attorney brother goes comes back out so we're exchanging notes afterwards how did your goes how did, how did my goes and i told them about mine i'm like man they railed me mm -hmm. I'm like what what was yours like They're like nothing like yours i'm like well what'd you guys talk about college and chicks and drinking beer and like it was nothing i'm like what, what the, the hell? Yeah. So, anyways, he got slot, and um, 
So uh, maybe it was predetermined. I don't know. Maybe I pissed somebody off along the way, which is entirely possible. <laughs> um, so at the end of that, I'm going, shoot, what am I going to do? Because yeah. now um, it was the end of my second enlistment. Yeah. And, and I had told everyone there, I'm like, you put me in the cockpit, you'll have to throw me out of the military. Mm -hmm. Like, I'll never leave. Yeah. Um, but I don't get in the cockpit. Like, yeah. I don't know how long I'm hanging around. Eventually, um, yeah. So they offered me, the base offered me uh, an officer position. And I can't remember, it was like in the personnel department. So kind of like the, the corporate equivalent to like an HR person. Gotcha. And they're telling me what it entailed and this and that. And you'd be dealing with people having, you know, family issues and this, that, and anything. And I'm like, I don't have the temperament for that. So <laughs> like, then it me. But I said, you know, maybe going to OCS, you know, getting officer rank and doing that kind of thing might help me again because I can keep going in front of that board sure. until I age out, right? right. So I'm like, maybe that would help. Mm -hmm. So at this point, um, I had already graduated college and I was in the mortgage business. Okay. And, you know, my first experience kind of like having to be responsible for my own way of living mm -hmm. and commission only and all that. Mm -hmm. So understanding that line of work, it's not like you show up, clock in, you get a paycheck, right? right. Like it's all 30, 60, 90 days away from being paid. Mm -hmm. And um, so they talked to me about it and I said, okay, I'm guessing these couple schools I had to go to because in the military they never line up perfectly mm -hmm. and so I'm like I probably got to go to a school come back for five or six weeks go to a school come back for four or eight weeks you know and then you know kind of do that thing mm -hmm. like yeah we probably you know your first year you're probably gonna be in those schools I'm like okay can you guys just put me on full-time orders mm -hmm. during that period so I'm done mm -hmm. with all the training and because in our section in our our uh, squadron, we did that for people all the time. Yeah. And the guard is really flexible on things like that, right? Someone's going, their, their full-time job cuts their hours at work or they get laid off or whatever, they can call the guard and be like, hey, can you just help the brother out, put me on orders for a month or three weeks or something, right? Mm -hmm. And they were always accommodating. Yeah. They instantly shut me down on that. I'm like, what? Wait a minute. I'm like, we do it in our <laughs> squadron all the time. Yeah. Sorry, that's not, that's not how the National Guard works. I'm like, uh, something change. Okay. <laughs> so I said, well, look, the only way I can, I can like financially do this. Like I, and I explained to him my job and everything else. Mm -hmm. Like I just don't have the ability to come back for four weeks and, and then, and then make money. Right. Like it just doesn't work in my industry. Right. So it's not a salary. Yeah. yeah I, if I'm gone, I'm gone. <clears throat> they were like, sorry, nothing we do. So that was kind of, that was the end of it for me. I didn't, I didn't reenlist after that because I thought, okay, maybe that'll get me where I want to go. Yeah. And it didn't. So. That was the end of the military journey for me. So enough doors got slammed and... Finally, the last one closed. Uh, in hindsight, you know, 2020 is always better, but um, now knowing more about the military and maneuvers I could have made, what I should have done before I decided not to re-enlist again, because mm -hmm. I should have just ran down to the active duty recruiters, mm -hmm. to the Marine Corps, Navy, and Air Force, and said, hey, look, here's what I got. Pilot's license, college degree, mm -hmm. put me in the cockpit, I'm in. Right. And ironically enough, I, uh, a guy that was in my fraternity a couple of years ahead, he was about three years ahead of me. I didn't notice at the time because I wasn't real close with him. Mm -hmm. um, but after a few years and seeing you know Facebook and stuff and his post, he was an F-18 pilot. Okay. And this was, I, I was already out of the guard by now. Yeah. And so I just messaged him like, dude, how did you end up flying F-18s? He was like, well, one day walking home from campus at school, there was a recruiter desk there and the guy came over and just grabbed me. And this was a, he was a big dude. Like, I don't know how he fit, like, not like fat, but just a big man. Mm -hmm. I don't know how he even fit in a cockpit. Yeah, like, he's there, yeah. you, can't be, you can't be like huge, right? right. You know, like, he's like linebacker <clears throat> size, wow. you know? And I'm like, okay. He's like, they just came and picked me out of the crowd, the Marine recruiters. 
And he's like, I was half joking with him. I said, well, you make me a pilot, I'll join. They said, okay, sign here. He's like, that was it. I told him I want to be a pilot. No was done. way. I'm like, you son oh, of Dude, <laughs> after all that. Yeah. Oh my God. So in hindsight, I should have just done that. Yeah. I would probably would have been flying airplanes. Yeah. Okay, so this begs the question, right? I have a million questions for you. This begs the question, how did you end up in the mortgage business? So it's a funny story. Uh, <laughs> So I knew it would be. <laughs> so in college, I worked all through college, right? So yeah. always had different jobs. I was actually always in a commission sales job, believe it or not. And um, I believe it. At, at the time, I was selling radio ads for local radio hip hop station. Okay. Well, and, and to kind of shed some light on why, um, after my freshman semester, mm -hmm. and I was playing in the the university's jazz band. Mm -hmm. One thing I realized with playing the trumpet is I need to play at least 10 hours a week mm -hmm. or my armature, your face muscles, are too out of shape. I couldn't hang. Yeah. And I was always used to being the best. <clears throat> and here I am at the college level and I was having a hard time making it through practice and I, perform I was struggling. Hmm. And it was because I wasn't practicing outside of when I had to show up to school and play. Because right. in high school I never practiced and I was always awesome. Right. So I'm like, I'll do the same thing. which might have been okay if I was just playing more regularly, right? But I wasn't playing every single day of the week like I did in high school. So I was struggling to keep up wow. just with my muscles. And so, and then the other thing, the university wanted me to come on board as a full-time music student mm -hmm. and with a scholarship. Mm -hmm. And I said, absolutely, as long as I don't have to wear that goofy uniform and be in the marching band, because right. I hated that in high school. Right. They're like, no, that's part of the thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm like, mm, not for this guy. Yeah. Sorry, bye. <laughs> so, so I didn't pursue music, and I'm like, what am I gonna do with a music degree? Be a band teacher? Like, that's the last thing I wanted to do. Right. Um, so I was like, okay, that's over with. Well, my freshman year in, um, in school, I was selling car stereos. So I worked for this car audio company in town. I was kind of like the, the go-to place. And so what does any young kid at the time do with their extra money? We bought music. So I would buy CDs like crazy. Mm -hmm. And I always um, justified it like, well, I need demo music, you know? So every time I got paid, I'd go down to Tower Music, which doesn't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. And I remember Tower Music. Yeah, Tower and I'd, I'd buy CDs. Yeah. I just, I had this huge collection of CDs, like all the cool popular stuff at the time. And uh, so going through my fall semester and I'm a pledge in the Sigma Nu fraternity. And so we had a big party coming up on a Friday night. And, um, in this era, you still, a fraternity party still had bands come play, you know? So the DJ thing hadn't really happened yet. Mm -hmm. It was just kind of getting going. And um, one of the band members was a member of our fraternity and he was the lead singer and he was like just sick as a dog. And mm -hmm. there was no way he was gonna be able to sing. Um, and so they're like, you know, the band had to cancel. Mm -hmm. So now the party's coming up on Friday. They put a ton of promotion effort in Like the party's happening whether we have a band or not. Right. And um, they're like, we, they need some entertainment. And they go, so has anybody here ever like DJ'd? Mm -hmm. You know, we're all sitting in the meeting. And one of my buddies who got me into the mortgage business, he raises his hand, he goes, I, I DJ'd a party once in high school and I have like half a DJ set up. Mm -hmm. like, you're the DJ, cool. Yep, there you and go. he's like, you're it. Oh crap. <laughs> so we're talking afterwards and I'm like, I'm like, hey man, like I have a truckload of music. Like, mm -hmm. You need help. He's like, yes, I need help. Because, yeah. of course, he was nervous. We're pledging the fraternity. Sure, and you're, you're really on the spotlight now, of right? Of course, yeah. So we DJed collectively that first party together. And literally, we were using two home. I took a CD player from my parents' house. He had one from his house. You know, we had one speaker. Like, yeah. it was it was real elementary. Yeah. And we DJed our first uh, party together. That's cool. So we ended up, throughout our college days, 
doing more and more DJing together. Sorority oh, cool. dances and then a couple of the college bars. And, you know, we were kind of a, a duo and we would we'd DJ together. And um, so... I bet that was fun. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. It was it was a great time. Um, what was, I mean, the best part of it was I was a college kid and I would pay for drinks mm -hmm. because I was the DJ. And, we, and we, we got quasi known. And so, you know, we... On the nights we weren't DJing, we could go somewhere and they didn't check our IDs because yeah. they knew who we were and we'd get free drinks and it was amazing. Like yeah. my buddies loved going out with me because we never paid for drinks. Yeah. It was fun. That's um, cool. Yeah. So um, fast forward and now I'm I'm selling radio ads mm -hmm. in my last, my like second to last semester of school mm -hmm. for the local hip hop station. And I was also doing some DJing for them and doing, you know, remotes and different things for them as a hip hop DJ. And um, my buddy had through another fraternity brother, kind of fallen into the mortgage business. We had a, a fraternity brother who grew up in Vegas and he left school, his mom got sick, so we moved back to Vegas to be with her and needed a job. Mm -hmm. So he got a job with a mortgage broker shop there and this was like, I think he started like in 96, mm -hmm. 97 or something. And he got his feet under him, he built a branch, so he had a team and stuff and we're coming into like 6% rates, mm -hmm. right? Which today we think like, oh, that'd be great. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, compared to that, yeah. And they were doing all these V8 Earl Streamline refis. Okay. And at the time, you could just call up the title company. They'd give you a list with names, phone numbers, emails, like every piece of info you wanted. Like, now you, you can't get that. But, um, and he had his team there, and they're just dialing for dollars. And they're just refining the heck out of people, doing great. And so he hits up my, my good buddy, Arjun, and says, do some income with them. And they had stayed in touch. He's like, you want to do this? Mm -hmm. He's like, easy money and broke college kid sign me up All right at the time to get a mortgage license you need to be 18 years old mm -hmm. no felonies i think the application fee was 35 or 50 bucks or 60 mm -hmm. bucks i mean that was it mm -hmm. you're licensed yep go sell loans yep so he started doing it and i started noticing he, he'd go to class and he'd be wearing a tie and a dress shirt i'm like dude you realize we're at school like mm -hmm. why do you dress so nice oh i gotta go meet with clients I'm like, clients i'm talking about clients mm -hmm. and so then he started telling me about it. i'm like Huh, that's interesting. So anyways, he starts getting busier and busier to the point where he's like, dude, I've got more on my plate than I can actually handle. Mm -hmm. So he asked me and another good buddy of ours, like, do you guys want to do this with me? Mm -hmm. And we're like, sure, why not? Yeah. So quit selling radio ads because I didn't really enjoy that anyways. Mm -hmm. And we started doing this and eventually we were doing it part-time. Mm -hmm. There ended up being, I think there was about six of us, mm -hmm. all fraternity brothers. We rented a small little office space and we would come into the office at four in the afternoon and we'd have our lead sheet and we would just dial and take short form applications on VA Streamline refis. Mm -hmm. And it was from four to eight, Monday through Thursday. Mm -hmm. That's what we did. And then during the day, those guys would kind of do the paperwork and mail out the applications. So real quick, let's 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 go back just a bit, okay? There may be people that are listening to this that are not in the mortgage business. So when you say Earl, you're talking about an interest rate reduction loan. Correct. Right? Yeah. Which is, and when you say Streamline, Streamline is, well, why don't you explain what Streamline is? Just so, I just wanna make sure that everybody's up to speed. So the Streamline is kind of the <laughs> slang term for the VA Earl. So right. it's, it's a refinance program specific to VA loans. There's no appraisal. No appraisal, no income documentation, uh, no pest inspection, um, none of that stuff. It's literally like a credit poll, your mortgage statement, and you've made six payments on time. And why would the VA or, or an FHA, or why would they all, uh, encourage that um, well they're encouraging it because they want to prevent default and they also it makes it more affordable it makes it more affordable because it's only reducing the rate like you can't take equity out of the home or anything like that and so at the time we were doing it 
most people had interest rates over 8%. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I was gonna say this. I got into the business in 1992, right before real estate went off a cliff in San Diego County, but interest rates were nine and a half percent, and they had been 10 six months prior. Mm -hmm. And so everybody was talking about, oh, they dropped a half a percent to the rate in six months. We're gonna have deflation, we're gonna have all this you know, awful stuff happening, the world's coming to an end, yada, 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 right? So all these people that bought with 10%, nine, nine, you know, 9.75, nine and a half, all that, they all had to get refinanced, right? And right. so I've a, a, a lot of people, a lot of veterans and, and people that have FHA loans don't realize that there's anything like a streamlined refinance available. Right. So when you were calling them, you're picking up the phone and calling them going, look, we're not gonna charge you anything. We're not gonna, you know, we're not doing an appraisal. We're not doing all this. We're just gonna replace the paper. We're just gonna reduce your payment, yeah. right? And it's like, really, right? Because it's it sounds too good to be true, but it is true, and it's true because they're trying, like you said, they're trying to improve their portfolio position via NFHA because they're on the hook for these loans if they default. Correct. So a lot of people don't realize that. So it's, I just yeah, want to make sure we explain that. So, yeah. yeah. So um, okay. So you're so you're doing these streamlines. You you guys are doing the the, the short form applications. You're you're banging through stuff. And are you in school at this point, or are you yeah. out? Yeah, still in school. So okay. this is so, this is my last semester of school. Gotcha. Okay, so, so this is your spring semester. Year. I'm graduating, and uh, it was fun. Yeah. I mean, it's all of us buddies, right? Yeah. I mean, we spent the last four and a half years just partying and having fun with each other, yeah. right? So now we're in a, a work environment, sort of, but it was competitive. We're all super competitive. Sure. So we get in there and be like. I bet you beers, you can't make a hundred calls tonight. Oh yeah, right. I bet you, you can't talk to 50 people, you know? And so that's how it would go. And so that's we, fun. it was fun oh, and, yeah. and it, it grew from there. So then we all graduated and I was still in the guards. So I was still trying to pursue yeah. that. And I was still DJing and I'd become bigger and bigger, well-known, you know, nightclub DJ at that mm -hmm. point in time. So I had a lot going on and um, we got to the point now where we kind of had to graduate and we were all done with school. Mm -hmm. I guess we're gonna do this full time, at least for now, right. we'll see how it goes. Right. right. And so we got a different office and now we're we're there all day like a regular job you know and we're we're doing mortgages right. and for the longest time it was still just the refi mm -hmm. thing but it we had too much i mean our office was animal house mm -hmm. it was like the movie animal house in an office setting right. it was just we were wild throwing staplers punching holes in walls slamming doors mm -hmm. like the neighbors in the building hated us because mm -hmm. we were out of control yeah but we had a great time yeah really great but that's how that's how the mortgage thing started and it wasn't ever designed to be the career that it has become. Right. Um, it was just, hey, come do this, it's fun. And it was a bunch of us buddies all doing it together. It was great. Yeah, that's cool. So so you get into the mortgage business, you're doing refis basically, then what happens? Then refis start drying up. Yeah. And now we're going, uh, how do you make money mm -hmm. at the mortgage business? Oh, there's just purchases. Mm -hmm. that, that was a whole new world. Right. Oh. Well, how do you get those? Right. You got to go meet with realtors. Mm -hmm. Well, my dad was a realtor. Oh, there so you I'm go. I'm like, okay. And, but he had kind of got tired of the residential real estate. He was doing more commercial and agriculture stuff. Mm -hmm. um, he's really a cowboy um, at heart. <laughs> um, so he's doing farms and ranches mostly yeah. and business opportunities. So he wasn't really a source of business for me, but he knew other realtors who sure. me introduced. Problem was I'm 22 mm -hmm. and I'm going to a real estate agent who's been doing real estate for 10, 15, 20 years. Fresh they're my dad's college, age. Yeah. yeah, I'm fresh out of college saying, yeah. hey, let me have a shot at your clients. Mm -hmm. And they're going, 
you're, you're like my son's age. You know, like you you're a kid. Went behind the ears, right? Yeah, you're a kid. Yeah. Like, I'm right. like, it was hard. Yeah. No one would give me a shot. Mm -hmm. You know, so it was it was tough to get business. Um, and you know, eventually we we began to figure that out mm -hmm. and and figure out how to generate some some business, and then then the market took off, yeah. and then we hit you know the '04 through '06 craze where you know. It was you nuts. say the word mortgage and you ended up with 10 applications on your yep. desk, you know? Yep. Um, it was insane. Yep. Yeah, we were all looking at each other going, I can't keep doing this. This can't keep happening. Mm -hmm. You know, we were 20% appreciation year over year yeah. here, and it was just like, this, you know, something's got to give. And it did. It, it did. did. Yeah. So, so 2004, 2006, you're just, you're just mopping the floor with it, right? And then 2007, 2008 rolls around. We know what happened in 2008. The Great Recession did its thing. And pretty much the mortgage business went away in the, in the form it was in before. Right. Um, so what happens? So I had kind of moved on from working with my fraternity brothers. And um, I got uh, my first crack at being a branch manager right before the crash. Okay. So Is this here? Or in, in Reno. Okay. Um, so local mortgage bank. Okay. Um, so I was a broker before. Now I'm mortgage bank. I'm the branch manager. Mm -hmm. um, I inherited a small team. And of course, it was my job to grow it and build it. Sure. And um, so got things cooking. And I wasn't there more than, I don't know, nine months or so. And a bunch of dudes in suits roll up one day mm -hmm. and say, pack your stuff, get out, leave the computer. Mm -hmm. I'm like, what? Mm -hmm. And it was like five or six guys, I'm like, what is going on? Yeah, and they stood there and watched you do it. Watch you pack your stuff, yeah. and I'm like, what happened? Well, the owner of the company had been cooking the books mm -hmm. and got caught. And I mean, at the time, I didn't know, right? I'm just mm -hmm. trying to do my job. And so, yeah, that was that was the end of that job. So those were investigators? They were investigators. Oh, wow. And, um, so they shut shut it down. I just bought my first house. Mm -hmm. I had a car allowance. So I just mm -hmm. bought the most expensive car I could afford with that right. car allowance, right? right? And here I am going, holy crap! Mm -hmm. What in the world? Am and I you're on the hook for this for this car allowance for yeah. this lease, yeah, or payment or whatever. Yeah, it that is, right. That Cadillac Escalade was <laughs> now my responsibility. <laughs> um, Every mortgage banker had a Cadillac Escalade. That's Come on, true. man. That was required. It was required. Um, just like the suit and the tie, come on now. So I was kind of in a panic, so I called up my, my good friend Arjun, who had um, was still in the business, mm -hmm. and there was a big um, condo conversion happening. So the biggest hotel casino in Reno was the Reno Hilton. Okay. And um, some investors had bought it from the Hiltons and were converting it, doing this huge, massive project. And he was one of the preferred lenders on it. Mm -hmm. And so I had reached out to him like, I don't know what the heck I'm gonna do, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, Dude, these guys, they need a new business manager. They just fired the person they had. It was a complete shit show. Like mm -hmm. the person didn't know what they were doing. He's like, you would be perfect for that job. He's like, I can get you a conversation with who you need to talk to. Mm -hmm. I'm like, shoot, okay. So he introduced me to a guy and boom, there I was. Yeah. So they, it was a really cool project. Um, they were converting the Hilton, which is a 2000 room hotel casino. Mm -hmm. um, sits on 360 acres, right on wow. the intersection of two major freeways close to the airport. Like, wow. I mean, location, 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 right? Yeah. And so the guys that bought it, the overall plan was obviously a big facelift and remodel, mm -hmm. but on top of that, they're gonna build the nation's largest indoor water park. Ooh. And one of the board members- On, on site. On site. Okay. And one of the board members, that's what he has an engineering firm and that's what they do. Oh. So he had built some of the ones in the Midwest. And uh, so they had it all figured out. The, the water park build out was a hundred million dollars. 
um, in two phases, 50 million at a time, and the first 50 million would be operational while mm -hmm. you built the other piece. And so they couldn't get a gaming license though. Mm -hmm. um, they had to outsource the gaming license, which ended up really hurting us in the long run. Um, but their, their main um, flow of funds was from these hotel conversions. So they took half of the rooms, so mm -hmm. a thousand of them, and converted them to condo hotels. Okay. It was you know a new-ish concept then. And, but that's where all the money was gonna come from to pay the debt that we had that they got from a hedge fund to buy the place mm -hmm. and, um, and to build out everything. And so I was in charge of kind of overseeing the whole real estate operation. Gotcha. And um, it was a fun, it was probably one of my favorite jobs. Yeah. Um, it was really, really fun. And um, learned a lot of cool stuff, but um, the market started to turn mm -hmm. not too long after that. Mm -hmm. And um, condo hotel financing is kind of, fringy mortgage financing because mm -hmm. you're really financing airspace yeah. is what you're financing. I mean, it's hard to understand. And the concept is you share in revenue with the hotel. So mm -hmm. the hotel still rents out your place mm -hmm. as a hotel room. So you don't get to keep like your things there. Right. Um, they keep it up. They, they keep it up. Yeah. They rent it. And you have a, a rental revenue share with the hotel and stuff. And um, there's an HOA fee. Mm -hmm. and uh, But the rooms were remodeled. They were super awesome. Mm -hmm. And it was just, it was really cool. Well, as, as the market was starting to crumble little by little, um, financing, it, it, hadn't, it didn't hit like a rock when the market crashed. It okay. just slowly things started to go away. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that went away or started to phase out or get harder to get approved were these condo hotel loans. Right. All of a sudden there was more conditions and mm -hmm. more conditions and lower loan to values, you know, requiring more down payment. They're just getting harder and harder to get through. And then all of a sudden, like lenders started disappearing. We had mm -hmm. at that time three preferred lenders on the project. Mm -hmm. um, so we had a thousand units to sell, and their sources started drying up. Mm -hmm. And then you know we we're down to like one, and um, then we we're down to just cash buyers only. Mm -hmm. And um, it got it got real scary. Um, and so what we we ended up going into receivership. Um, but the the story behind that is as this was starting to dry up, we. The fun part is we would always go on the road to sell these. So we marketed a lot in the, the Bay Area. So we'd go for like a weekend and it was great because everything was comped and we're staying at the Four Seasons and you know, like mm -hmm. it was very luxurious mm -hmm. sales effort. Yeah. Um, but then we were selling these things like hotcakes, right? Mm -hmm. And they were really selling. And um, when the financing started to dry up, we we're still having some success on the cash sales. And um, we got to a point where because we we didn't have revenue from the casino. They mm -hmm. they struck a really terrible deal with mm -hmm. the casino operator. So we had no revenue from the casino, which in a hotel casino, that's where all the revenue is. Like yeah. the hotel room sales, they don't generate much for profit. They almost break even. They, yeah, sometimes, yeah. if you're lucky, they break even. Right. Um, so that's not a profit center mm -hmm. really. So, and the, the restaurants and stuff, I mean, you make a little money, but mm -hmm. we're changing all those. We had Charlie Palmer Steakhouse come in and all these celebrity chef things. And I know there just wasn't, revenue from that stuff yeah. so the only revenue we had are from these condo sales and all of a sudden that's coming to a screeching halt mm. and we start getting behind on our note payment mm. so at this time um the the hedge fund if you wanted to google this it's interesting reading but amaranth was the name of the hedge fund mm -hmm. and um the guy who led that hedge fund made a lot of bad deals and, yeah. and cost that company to, to close he, I think he killed himself um that hedge fund manager but Chase, J.P. Morgan Chase, ended up buying our loan in a in a distressed sale mm -hmm. from the hedge fund. So they picked it up for pennies on the dollar, mm -hmm. and they immediately implemented um, some folks to come in and help figure out what's going on here. Right. 
and um, trying to save the deal. Yeah. Trying to save the deal. And so at this <clears> point, <throat> the the real estate sales were done. There was no financing. We weren't getting cash buyers anymore. And I didn't have a, a hotel pedigree. I didn't have experience working in hotels. Mm -hmm. So there really wasn't like a job for me anymore when the real estate stuff dried up. But um, my job required me to work with our our general counsel, all our C-level suite guys. They all really liked me. And I worked with them. I mean, there'd be some nights where I'm working until like 1230 at night with the CFO, just right next to him. And we're banging out stuff. Probably. So I was really tight with all the upper echelon guys. And mm -hmm. they're like, hey, look, this receivership group's coming in here and don't necessarily have a role for you, yeah. but we're going to create a role and you're going to work with them. Oh, that's cool. And I was like, okay. Yeah. And like, basically this is going to be a temporary thing. Once you learn your job responsibilities and get good at it, mm -hmm. you literally be done with your job in like eight hours a week. Mm -hmm. Like, but we want you to spend the rest of the time job hunting mm -hmm. because it's, yeah. this is going to be a temporary deal, yeah. but we like you. You know, we want to make sure that you're, you're okay. Sure. It's like, wow, that's pretty admirable. Right. Yeah. So they brought me into the accounting department and made me a, a director of accounts payable and accounts receivable. So I learned accounting real quick. I mean, yeah. I'd taken it in college. I didn't understand it to that degree, but you know, does my fire now. Yeah. So, <laughs> and then it was cool. because I got to work with the chase guys, yeah. the receivership team and understanding that. And yeah, they know their stuff. Man, those are some sharp, sharp yeah, people. And they were, they were cool. Like they weren't in there trying to like, you know, be the, be the hatchet man. Mm -hmm. I mean, even though eventually that did happen. Um, but it was, it was pretty cool. And so through all that, um, I ended up, getting a job through a connection and I got uh, a gubernatorial appointment to be the deputy administrator for the Nevada real estate division. There you go. So I was the number two guy in charge of the Nevada wow. real estate division. Wow. So, so I moved on from that and I was like, cool. Well, I'm done with the mortgage business. Like I had that job. Mm -hmm. Now I'm going to do this. Like mortgages are done. Right. And at the time I had kept copies of all my files through all those years. Yeah. And I literally had one whole wall in my garage with boxes from floor to ceiling. Mm -hmm. All of them. When I worked at the, the when I worked at the hotel, I was like, I'm done with mm -hmm. mortgages. And we had a contract with the big shredding company. Mm -hmm. So I loaded them up in my escalator, took all those boxes down, shredded them all. I didn't have mm -hmm. a lick of past client info mm -hmm. after that big mistake. Right. Um, so, <laughs> so I go to work at the state and, um, you know, I'm the number two guy. My boss is basically at conferences all the time. Mm -hmm. So I'm in charge. Mm -hmm. So I'm this young guy in charge of section managers who've been working for the state for, you know, 15 years, 20 mm -hmm. years, right? They'd all been there forever. Yeah. And it's interesting, government and employment is much, much different than um, the civilian employment. And much different. Wow. <laughs> getting people to do their job uh -huh. is not an easy task. Yeah. Um, not easy at all. Because yeah. um, they're there to perpetuate their own existence. That's just it. so we're clear. That's it. <laughs> and and really the only way... Not get the job done. The easiest just, way to right. lose your job in the state is just being tardy. Right. So it's, it was interesting driving from Reno down to the Capitol, Carson, it, during that commute hour when everyone, all the state employees had to go there, mm -hmm. it was like, in, like a Daytona 500 race. Mm -hmm. Like you could tell who the state employees were because yeah. they were dodging out of traffic, yeah. cutting people off. They were driving like they were on commission. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> Just to get to work on time, because yeah. they knew that was the one way to get fired. Once yeah. they got to work, they didn't do diddly, yeah. right? but they exactly. had to get there. <laughs> and so I inherit that. Right. And uh, here I am, you know, young guy. I'm, I'm way younger than all the people I oversee, yeah. and I got to, like, corral them and get them to do work. Yeah. And it was not easy. Mm -hmm. um, and I had some success at it, but one of my jobs was I was kind of like the CFO for our division mm -hmm. and we weren't all the way state funded. We only had a small bit of state funding. The rest was all licensee funding, mm -hmm. real estate agents, appraisers, timeshare agents. And that's where we got 
the money to operate. Mm -hmm. And here we are coming into this crash. And it's not like officially a crash yet, but something's really happening yeah, in the market, right? You can feel it. Yeah. You can feel something like bad is going on. And so I was in charge of doing our biennial budget and doing our, our, our budgeting forecast and everything like that. So um, I get to work on it and I reached out to the University of Nevada, Reno, University of Nevada, Las Vegas, their econ departments, and then just started studying like trade publications and things like that to try and get a grasp on where I thought we were headed with this mm -hmm. thing. It's hard because you're trying to project something when you sort of know that you're coming up against this headwind. You have no clue what it's going to be like on the other side. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And there was, there was some predictions and things of what was going to happen as far as like licensee counts and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to go conservatively. And so I made this, this budgeting forecast and in the state budgeting, when you have, one of the interesting things is when you have a, a position open for hire, mm -hmm. that salary counts against your budget, even if you don't have a person occupying the seat. Your, so your budget allocation, so if we were paying someone 40 grand a year salary for you know, job A, mm -hmm. then our budget was hit for that 40 grand a year mm -hmm. um, in the way that it was accounted for. So even part, though they weren't there, even though they weren't there, it's because we had an open rec for it. Wow. So it was, okay. it was like the money was kind of earmarked for it on and set gotcha. aside in a way. Gotcha. And if you don't spend it, you lose it, right? Exactly. In government, yeah. So as I created this budgeting forecast, I'm like, okay, well, I have to figure out a way to maintain as much of the employee base as we have mm -hmm. and do it. So, anyways, got rid of all the openings. Just that saved us a bunch of money and you know some other other things. But anyways, my modeling forecast was it's all going down. Mm -hmm. You know, it isn't going to be as great as it is now. Mm -hmm. And so. I got that done and the my boss's boss was like, what is this? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, that's that's my forecast. And mm -hmm. I had all my notes, like I, I built this like pretty elaborate forecast model and she's like, you gotta change it. I said, what do you mean I gotta change it? She's like, well, if you keep it this low number, we're not, we're not gonna get more money. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, yeah, because we're not gonna have enough people renewing their licenses to have them more money. Mm -hmm. Like it's just not coming. Mm -hmm. The state doesn't just give us money in this division. I need you to change your numbers. Mm -hmm. And I was like, uh, tell you what, mm -hmm. I'm gonna email you the Excel file. You do with it as you wish. Mm -hmm. I'm not putting my, my fingerprints on falsifying the numbers because I don't have a way to substantiate the numbers you wanted me to hit. Right. Like it's just, it's impossible. We're not gonna have a similar number of applicants renew this year. It's just not gonna happen. Anyways, they didn't like that very much. No, they didn't. And um, so they changed the numbers and then the governor, didn't win re-election and as an appointed person i now was on the street looking for a job mm -hmm. fast forward they actually two years a year later they implemented almost all the changes i suggested yeah. uh, but at the time it was a horrible suggestion sure um <laughs> so now i'm going okay what the heck am i going to do yeah. so i go start applying for jobs and because i had mortgage mm -hmm. in my past mm -hmm. it was like having a scarlet letter mm -hmm. you weren't getting hired anywhere yeah. doing anything mm -hmm. so that was tough that was a tough couple of years because mortgages, you couldn't get a loan approved. No. I mean, we had, in you couldn't get anything done. You couldn't get anything, anything done. Real and it was, it, was, it was probably the roughest time in, in the time that I've, that I've been in the business, probably the roughest time to be in the mortgage side of the business. And I, I actually had to make a choice. I had to choose. We had two companies. We had a mortgage company. We had a um, real estate company. We had the Keller Williams office at the time. Mm. And we had more invested in the Keller Williams office, so I had more at stake. And so I shut the mortgage company because I, my income from the mortgage company that I, the, the sort of, if you will, wealth that I accumulated or capital 
uh, from the mortgage side was what I used to finance the the Keller Williams office. So we did it all cash out of my out of my account, right? Right. So we didn't go into debt or any of that kind of thing. So when the great when the crash hits, we naturally have the nicest office, one of the most expensive offices in San Diego County, and one of the largest offices. And up before the crash hit, we had two and a half, three pages of people that were agents that were on a, on a waiting list to get an office in our office. Wow. And we went from that to six months later, we had one, we had nobody on the waiting list, nobody in the office except one team. That was it. Dang. That was all we had. And it was like, you know, all of a sudden we're sitting there, we're, we're in this really nice cave. I mean, it was bad. And, you know, as fate would have it, um, there was a, we were part of the, one of the owners of the building we were in was a, was a really high profile law firm. One of the lawyers in that law firm had a son-in-law who had a, a law firm of his own and they were expanding like crazy because they were doing bankruptcy law, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, they were, going, they were going great guns. And so they approached us and said, hey, we know real estate's down. We don't know if you guys are down, but, but real estate's down. We would like your space because our father-in-law's, you know, three, three levels up, right? And we you know we'll take over your space, we'll take over your lease, we'll take you off the off the responsibility for it, the whole thing. And I was like, okay, right? Mm -hmm. They bought our completely outdated phone system for forty five thousand dollars. I mean, it was like, wow, yeah. So I'm like sitting there going, hmm, yeah, okay, yeah, we're doing this, right? So we ended up moving into what we had leased as a um, as a training room in a different building in Escondido because they had parking and we didn't have parking where we were. So every time we had 155 agents and every time we were actually parking more than that, we had 180 agents at the time. We had 180 agents and every time we would, we would have a, a training, we'd have 30, 40, 50 people show up and we had to park them somewhere. There's no parking in this building. Oh and so, you know, the, the other tenants got upset because we're, well, we're just, we're, we're clogging up the system, right? They got yeah. nowhere for their clients to park. Right, so we ended up moving the entire shebang into our training room. Thank God we had it, but that was what we ended up moving everything into. It was a little tight for a while, but it, but we made it through, right? You know, and we were able to save the, by the hair of my chin chin chin, we were able to save the the real estate company, and you know we owned it for eighteen years. So, um, but we made it through, and the mortgage business just basically completely dried up. And being in the mortgage business, you're right, was like having a startled letter. I mean, it was. It was really, because we had been demonized so much in the mortgage business when 2008 hit, because they had to have somebody to blame. Yeah. Okay, and they blamed the appraisers, you remember all this. Yeah. They blamed the mortgage brokers, they blamed all these people. What was interesting was, I got into the REO business after the 2008 crash, and the, and the cleanup that I was doing in the REO business had nothing to do with mortgage brokers. It had everything to do with direct lenders, actual banks, actual savings banks that would call a converted barn that had never been permitted and was in horrible shape. They called it a house and lent on it. And I had to sell it. They built this house that they added onto this barn and they the part of the addition on the barn was they made a, a master bedroom. The master bedroom closet, the floor of the master bedroom closet were the access doors for the septic tank. Oh yeah, you can't make this up. There were there were two there were two bedrooms framed out. Now there was no drywall up, but there were two bedrooms framed out in a walk-in produce cooler. 
You know what's interesting about walk-in produce coolers? They're airtight on purpose so that they can keep cold air in. They were putting their kids to bed in that produce cooler at night. Oh my god. Oh dude, I mean you <laughs> I'm not joking. This is like a this is like a nightmare, you know, right? You could write a Stephen King novel on this uh, about this property. When I first showed up, the first day I showed up, they had moved out because they knew I was coming. They had moved out because they didn't want to be evicted and all this kind of stuff. Right. The former owner, they moved out. And when I got there, there was a pelt, a skin, hanging on this rack outside the, the thing. I looked at it and it was real small, right? And I looked at it, couldn't figure out what it was. It was the, it was the skin of a baby goat. Yeah, they had they had killed a baby goat, ate it, and that was the that was the the skin was basically um, curing, if you will, on this rack, and they forgot to take it with them. Wow. Yeah, I mean this place was, and this is That's right, amazing. and I had to I had to sell this place. I had to sell this place. Okay, the 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 wiring was substandard. I mean the whole thing, and this was a bank that shall remain nameless, but it was a bank that was gobbled up by another bank over a weekend. Okay, when the you know you're seeing too big to fail, right? Yeah. Um, I mean that was that was what happened with this particular organization, and my job was to come in and sell a bunch of the properties that they lent money on. That when it was all said and done, I mean their appraisers were in the house, Bubba. They were not fee appraisers, so it's not a mortgage broker thing. It's not a fee appraiser thing. It's not any of that. It was interesting how all this comes out when it's time to clean up the mess. Right. You with me? Mm -hmm. And it's like being in the mortgage business. Now, being a banker didn't have a scarlet letter on it, but being a mortgage lender did. Right. It was really interesting how all that works. Anyway, yeah. so there's my two cents on that deal. So, okay, so so you so you leave you so you leave not not voluntarily the state, and you're now looking for a job, and you've got mortgage on your all over your resume. What happens? So I hadn't I hadn't moved out of Nevada yet. Um, I was just doing odd jobs. I got back and I had left DJing. Okay. So I got back into DJing because I needed money. Yeah, you got to survive. And um, so I got a couple DJ gigs. I was, you know, kind of forced into learning accounting. So I started doing some books on the side for some people, just whatever I could do, just odd jobs to make money. Helped some guy. His business was going out of, he was, his business went out of business, and I helped him clear out a warehouse. It took like a month to clear mm -hmm. out. Like I mean, just whatever I get my hands yeah. on, right? Yeah. And so this one weekend, um, Nevada was playing football at home, and my dad had season tickets. He said, hey, you want to come to the game? I'm like, yeah, let's go to the game. So we go to the game, and um, at the game, I had run into a buddy of mine who worked at our first mortgage broker shop with mm -hmm. us. He wasn't one of our fraternity brothers, but he, he was friends with all of us, and he worked there for a little bit. And he was working at Wells Fargo okay. at the time in the in the mortgage division. Okay. And this is, you know, 09, 2010, somewhere about 2009, I think. Mm -hmm. And um, he's like, hey, you know, what are you doing these days? I'm like, nothing. And he's like, dude, you should come work with me. I'm like, where do you work? He's like, Wells Fargo. I'm like, oh, no way. Mm -hmm. Like, not only is it a no, it's like it's a hell no. Like, I can't stand that company. Mm -hmm. Like, there's no way I'm working there. Mm -hmm. He's like, it's not that bad, dude. I'm like, yeah, well, it's a, it's a firm note for me. Mm -hmm. But it's great to see you, buddy, everything else. Mm -hmm. Two weeks later, back another home game. Ended up going to um, this place called Little Wall, which is a, little, a bar close to the university there. Everyone goes to, you know, after the game and stuff. I go there, and I run into the same guy. Mm -hmm. Two or three weeks later. And he starts proposing Wells Fargo again. Mm -hmm. I'm like, dude, no. Like, I'm not going to Wells Fargo. And he's like, bro, I'm telling you, like, 
He's like our manager, super cool guy, the area manager. He's a veteran, like you, this Navy guy. He's young, he's cool. Like it's not like what you think of of the company. And he's like, you should at least like let, let me set up a meeting. Just come meet everybody. Like talk to them. Like you don't have, you know, there's no obligation. I'm like, well, what the hell? I got nothing to lose, yeah. right? So I go and I, I meet with them and meet the manager, meet the area manager, like both of them, mm -hmm. super neat guys. And um, they're like, yeah, here's the deal, man. I mean, you know, mortgage business sucks right now, mm -hmm. but if you work at the bank, you got clients mm -hmm. and you can do some loans. Mm -hmm. What else are you doing right now? I'm like, great point. Right. So, cleaning out a warehouse. Yeah, cleaning out someone's <laughs> warehouse <laughs> for now. Who knows next week? Right, you know? Exactly. And uh, so I said, okay. So I came on board and started doing loans at Wells Fargo. And I, I worked for them in Reno, I think, for about two years. Okay. And my boss had won all these awards and accolades as a branch manager. He was a great guy. Um, and we'd become pretty good buddies. Mm -hmm. And he'd grown up here in Vista. There you go. And his, he was a high school football star and everything else. Well, he was trying to climb the corporate ladder in their system. Mm -hmm. And knowing that his direct boss in our area was, was a young guy, he wasn't leaving his post anytime soon. Mm -hmm. So there was no growth directly above where he was. He had to get out of market. Yeah. And so he had applied for some area manager jobs out of market, and he was just never winning. And in his assessment, it, and he always got these great reviews from the interviewers, but he's mm -hmm. never getting the jobs. And so in his personal assessment, he's like, you know what? Because I'm in Reno and like it's a small market, mm -hmm. dollars dollar wise, and everything else, so my numbers don't look big. Mm -hmm. You know, like he's like, I'm competing against guys from LA and the Bay Area and mm -hmm. these big cities where the dollars are two and three times. Yeah, average loan amounts are huge. Yeah. And he's like, I gotta get to another market and just replicate on the branch level what I've done here mm -hmm. and then go apply. Sure. He's like, so I gotta take a detour. Well, at that time, um, there was a Wells Fargo mortgage office in Encinitas okay. that was just bursting at the seams. Mm -hmm. I mean, they were doing tons of business. Mm -hmm. They had more people than they had desks to sit them at. Mm -hmm. um, all their bank locations were full and they had to break this thing up and create another branch and split them in half. It was mm -hmm. just too big. Yeah. And so they did and they elevated that manager to that area spot and they were hiring for two branch managers. The one in Encinitas, did it have a view of the ocean? No. There was like a loan officer there who was part of that whole group that did. Yeah. Um, yeah, right in Solana Beach there, I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so I, I remember this. So yeah, go ahead. <laughs> so, so my buddy um, said, well, I'm going to go apply because North County, San Diego, he's mm -hmm. from there. He has family there, lots of friends and connections. He's like, sure. I'll crush it. Yeah. So he applies and gets hired in, in one of the branch manager opportunities. And so he was always in my ear about, you got to come down, you got to come down, you got to come down. Well, I had been to Southern California once before in my life. Mm -hmm. um, my family, my uncle was an avid Raider fan. Okay. And so I was probably 12 years old, maybe 13, and he had season tickets. And um, he had, um, on his wife's side, a special needs nephew. Um, and he couldn't make it. That's some health stuff he couldn't make. It. So he had this extra ticket. He's like, hey, you want to go to the game with me? I'm like, yeah, of course. So my uncle takes me to the Raider game. So we fly to LA and um, hop in a taxi to go to the Coliseum. And I just remember we're driving through the hood. Mm -hmm. I mean, like- It's lots. Like, yeah, it yeah. was it was kind of scary. Yeah. We, we got to one point and the cab driver was like, hey, you guys need to duck. Yeah. So my uncle immediately ducks. I'm like, who, what? Yeah. And he's like, duck. And I'm like, what the hell? He's like, look, 
they see two white guys in here, we're gonna have problems. We're gonna take a shot, yeah. And I'm like, holy crap, this is scary. Mm -hmm. So anyways, and you know, we go to the game and everything, and smoggy and gross outside, the air was nasty, and I'm just like, yeah, well, this Southern California thing, <laughs> terrible, right? So fast forward to, to my buddy trying to recruit me to come Crazy down to mortgages. And I'm like, wait a second. You want me to move there? Right, no. I'm like, what, what's in the water, yes, dude? Like, no way. And I share with him my experience, and I'm like, there is no chance on God's green earth I'm going to the armpit of America. Right, right. Not happening. Yeah. Not happening. He's like, bro, it's San Diego. Yeah. I'm like, he can be saying to nothing. I ain't going. Right. And um, so anyways, we had this back and forth conversation for a while. He's like, I promise you, it's nothing like what you experienced in L.A. And I'm like, well, I don't believe you. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, look, man, why don't we do this? It had an impression on you. He's like, I'll buy you an airplane ticket or you buy the airplane ticket. I'll pay for you to the hotel room. Just come out for a weekend, hang out. Like worst case scenario, we just hang out, have fun, whatever. Right. I'm like. No harm, no foul. Yeah. So we do that. Why not? So I come down. Of course, he knows the guy that manages like the Carlsbad Inn, puts me right up on the ocean in like a really nice room. Yeah. And um, so we spend the weekend driving around and checking out the area. And Carlsbad's something, man. Carlsbad's beautiful. Yeah. And, like literally right on the ocean there, mm -hmm. you know? And um, playing with some numbers, I'm like, wait, wait, what are the average loan amounts here? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that's more than double yeah. what they are back in Reno. Mm -hmm. He's like, yeah, man. Like, He's like, you're my top loan officer there. You need to come down here. I'm like, hmm, all right. He's like, dude, I'll take care of you. My connections, we've got the bank branches. I assign who's there, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. He's like, you need to come down. I went back and thought about it. A month later, I moved. Yeah. So I transferred with Wells Fargo, came down here. And um, lo and behold, there were no in-bank opportunities available. Yeah. They were all filled by the other loan officers. So there was yeah. no openings. Right. And I'm like, um... Dude, I don't know. You're the only person in all of San Diego I know. That I know. Yeah. I know one person here. Right. And how am I going to get business? Well, you have to do it the old-fashioned way. I'm like, what? Mm -hmm. I came down with a big bank, mm -hmm. and you want me to go out there and hustle realtors? Mm -hmm. Are you out of your bloody mind? Yeah. He's like, you can do it. Mm -hmm. I'm like, great. Yeah. Thanks. So Welcome to San Diego. I'm like, here we go. Mm -hmm. And uh, and there was some internal leads and stuff you could get from the well system a little bit. Um, I remember I got my first loan when I moved down here. It was a $400,000 loan amount. Mm -hmm. I crapped my pants. It was mm -hmm. the biggest loan I'd ever done. Mm -hmm. I was like, I walked in and I'm like, what do I do? It's $400,000. He's mm -hmm. like, yeah, it's $400,000. Yeah, it's good he's for like, me. He's like, yeah. do the loan. Yeah. I'm like, but like, do you do different stuff? Mm -hmm. He's like, no, dude, it's just the same as $100,000. Just mm -hmm. do it. I'm like, okay. I was so like blown away. Right? Yeah. You know, that was my first taste. Um, so anyways... Um, hung with Wells Fargo for a while, finally, finally started figuring it out and, you know, getting some business and stuff, even though, you know, having that badge and I was going to the realtor caravans all the time and, you know, getting to meet realtors and things like that and making some good connections, but not really getting a whole lot of business. And, you know, I understood it was because of the, the brand I had on my, my business card. Right. And, um, so anyways, I had, I had gotten into kind of the VA loan niche a little bit there. And um, I started doing a lot of VA business and doing refis again. And I was mailing out, doing refis and getting big. And the guy who you're thinking of, I'm drawing a blank on his name. His name starts with an M. Um, in that office mm -hmm. with the ocean view, mm -hmm. that guy was a mail machine. Mm -hmm. That office was him and two or three assistants. Mm -hmm. And they, Wells Fargo had this internal loan program. It's called the three-step loan. This 
slam dunk reef, I think. Mm -hmm. And he was mailing out, because we were a bank, so mm -hmm. you could lend anywhere in the country. You didn't need state licenses right. or FDIC. Right. So he had like a mail house, mm -hmm. folding machines, printers, envelope stuffers. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, this was an operation. Mm -hmm. And he was cranking. I mean, they tried to hire me. So I ended up touring all that. Did you? Yeah. So what you're talking, I know exactly what you're talking about. And I met him. Um, they tried to recruit me. And I went down and, and met with them. Uh, I used to compete with Norwest Mortgage. Hmm. And I beat them. I just mopped the floor with them in San Diego on the builder side in the 90s. Um, and they ended up getting um, a huge, huge ABA with uh, Dear Orton Custom Homes. It was a nationwide deal. Yeah. And they made so much money, they ended up paying cash for Wells Fargo. They bought Wells Fargo for their brand because nobody knew Norwest. Right. Right. Norwest was who? Right. But Wells Fargo was a brand and it was a recognized brand and they bought it. And the guys who were trying to recruit me to be in the mortgage business were running Wells Fargo now. And this was like late nineties, you know? And, um, so yeah, I, one of those guys, one of the guys talked to this guy and said, Hey, you need to, you need to see if you can get lit. And so I, I went down there and just out of curiosity more than anything else, I didn't end up going to work with them, but man, it was, they were killing it. Oh, and when I saw their numbers, when I saw their numbers, it was like, okay, I gotta go, I gotta go at least, at least visit. Well, I gotta at least visit, you yeah. know what I mean? And I was thoroughly impressed. I mean, that place was a machine. It was incredible. Absolutely incredible. I was thoroughly, I wasn't impressed enough to go to work for him, but um, I was yeah. impressed. But that guy, I, I can't remember, John Blank on his name. And I am too. His production was Starts with him. I know, what you're, I know what you're talking about. But. His unique name. But anyways, his production was yeah. off the charts. Yeah. I mean, it was unimaginable how yeah. much loan business he did. Um, but anyways, I finally started getting my feet underneath me um, doing... VA Streamline refis again. Mm -hmm. Kind of yeah. went back to my roots, and that's how I was able to like support myself. But I'll tell you, the first six months I was here, I mean, there were many, many moments where I was like, okay, I've got enough money for either a little bit of gas mm -hmm. or some groceries, but I don't have money for both. Yeah. And for the first six months I lived in San Diego, that was that was it. Mm -hmm. And um, so eventually, things I, I finally got going and, and got things cranking, and I got. Um, recruited away from Wells Fargo after some friction and, and interestingly enough my my manager at the time um, he ended up getting crossways with the gal they promoted to that area manager mm. and for good reason but they got crossways and he was like screw you I'm out of here mm -hmm. and he'd been at Wells Fargo like I don't know 13 14 mm -hmm. years so he had a, his career there yeah quit mm -hmm. like that's how bad the friction was between them yeah. and he just threw away I'm done mm. well he had made enough inroads in the company where people heard about it and they're like, dude, you're not leaving. You're too good of a guy. Like, mm -hmm. we want you. So he started getting calls from other areas and stuff. And long story short, he moved to the, the Dallas area, Frisco, and went there. And so now I got to deal directly with this gal. And ultimately, that's what pushed me out. Like, mm -hmm. I became one of the top LOs in the area and I wanted an assistant. Yeah. I was just drowning. I was working 90 hours a week. Mm -hmm. And I was getting to the point where I was like, okay, like, yeah, I'm, it's just me by myself here, but I was starting to hit some burnout. Like yeah. I, I can't keep this going. I mean, it was like four months in a row, like mm -hmm. 90 hours a week. And yeah, I was making good money, but I was, I was drowning, you know? Yeah. And it really she, does feel like you're drowning. Yeah, it really does. It does. And she wouldn't, she wouldn't allow me to have an assistant. I'm like, look, I, the way they had it structured, you pay for it out of your paycheck anyway. Mm -hmm. She's like, yeah, but you know, if the market turns, you're going to have to fire that person. I'm like, okay, well that's on me. Mm -hmm. 
But I'm like, if I can get the help, that will allow me to go build the purchase business even stronger because it will give me the time back that right. I don't have right now. Right. And we couldn't we couldn't meet eye to eye on that. And so, long story short, I got recruited away and um, got an assistant, and that's what I needed. Mm -hmm. And I went and helped open up the uh, the Veterans United office. There you go. Here in San Diego. Yeah. Um, and that was like in 2012, 2013 timeframe, somewhere in that's there. Solid. That's a solid company. Yeah, so yeah, back in 2012, 2013, they were not well known. No, they were small. They, the name they, recognition. they blew up, absolutely blew up in just the next few years. Yeah, yeah, they got big. I mean, their their claim to fame, and I, and I tell this to everybody. I mean, they're competition to me, but they are the absolute top best online marketers yeah. in the mortgage space. Yeah, there isn't anybody that's better than them. I agree. Um, with that. They're amazing, and they've built an incredible brand. Um, at the time, it wasn't when I was there. It wasn't what it is today. Um, but anyways, yeah, I worked there and that, that, that kind of really entrenched me from the perception of the realtors to me of being like a VA specialist, mm -hmm. even though I hadn't officially like latched onto that yet. Mm -hmm. Um, it kind of started putting me there and, um, and that's, that's what began kind of my now niche of, you know, mm -hmm. being, you know, so heavy into the VA business. Yeah. So, so who, who recruited you away from Wells Fargo? Oh gosh. His name was Joe. Oh, it's okay. I don't need a name. But what was the name of the company? I don't remember the name of the recruiting company anymore. Um, what was the name of the mortgage company you went to work for? Veterans United. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. Okay. Sorry. I'm. So I'm, I went from Wells to Veterans United. I got United. you. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I got you. I thought there was one in between. I apologize. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you go from Wells to Veterans. Mm -hmm. And how long were you with Veterans? Only about a year and a half. Really? Yeah. Um, I, I didn't I didn't like how they operated. Oh, okay. um, so I had flown out to meet with the owners of the company in Missouri when they were recruiting me because I didn't want to come on board as a loan officer. I wanted to come on board as the manager. Okay. And um, they were like, "Well, we're talking to another guy who's a manager, and he's actually bringing on a crew of you know some people." Mm -hmm. I thought, "Well, shoot, you know, if I were in your shoes, I'm talking to a guy that's bringing people on, or a single dude. Yeah. The guy bringing on people is going to hold more value, and I sure. understood that." What I didn't understand, he was only bringing on assistants. He wasn't bringing on loan officers. So I didn't get that part yet. Um, but anyways, I went so and met no with revenue him. production, yeah. Yeah, no, no additional revenue production. Just he was a big producer himself, mm -hmm. which was, you know, great. Um, and so anyways, I went and met with them. And, um, you know, their headquarters operations, kind of like Google, right? Mm -hmm. Like people are wearing sweatpants and there's slides. And, you know, it's it, it was pretty neat. And, um, and they have a direct feeder, like from Mizzou. They have all the top marketing graduates mm -hmm. and that's why they're so good online with all the mm -hmm. marketing stuff they just they get really good talent yeah um and that's where their call center is located so coming back out to san diego um where i where i had friction with them was two spots they we would be competing with the the home office all the time because people would find out about them online mm -hmm. and then then look up and see oh there's a local office and they mm -hmm. want to work with us locally or whatever and but they call the home office first they call the home office first so now we couldn't have that client right. the home office had to have them even right. though they the client says no no no, i want to work here mm -hmm. they'd be like nope sorry mm -hmm. you know so there was that and then and the way they they did loans on the back end they sell all their loans to wells and chase mm -hmm. on the back end and their internal rule is whatever loan is written has to be sellable to both well chase is the more conservative of the two that's and interesting. It was really interesting. And it, I started running, I actually kept, you know, we always keep a pipeline, right? Mm -hmm. I kept a pipeline of all my declines. Okay. Because they were all loans that, hands down, they all got done somewhere else. Right. But I couldn't do them. It was a year's worth of income 
many loans that I couldn't get done there because of this internal requirement. Wow. And I remember I had a guy, um, he was a, a Navy vet, F-14 pilot. There you go. So we connected real good. Yeah. Um, and he had, while he was in the Navy, him and a buddy had bought um, a car wash together. Okay. Ended up expanding it. And they got out of the Navy, they flew commercial, and he bought out his partner and had the car washes. And, you know, he'd done some other business entrepreneurial thing. He was doing really good, lived in La Jolla, had a sweet house in La Jolla. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we had to talk about doing a, a VA Earl. Mm -hmm. And um, he had a Wells Fargo loan. We're gonna do a Wells Fargo to Wells Fargo VA Earl, no, no sweat. Mm -hmm. He's like, I don't do the email scan stuff. Can you just come pick up my house? So I go to his house, you know, hang out, meet him have Bentleys, all sorts of cool cars, you know? I'm like, this guy's doing okay. Yeah. And uh, anyways, I go to write the loan and uh, got denied. I'm like, wait, <laughs> what? Yeah, how, hello? It was a, a big VA loan. I'm like, well, how did this get denied? It's not over the maximum loan limit. Mm -hmm. You don't internal guideline loan limit. Yeah. And they're like, well, Chase won't buy it because it's above their loan limit because they had a more conservative loan limit than Wells did. I'm like, well, it doesn't matter. It's not going to chase. No matter what, it's not going to chase because it's a Wells to Wells VA Earl. Yeah. We're transferring over the escrow account, all this stuff. And they're like, sorry. I'm like, I need to talk to somebody higher. Someone higher, someone higher. I mean, I got to the top of the company and they were like, yeah, it's just, it's just our, our internal guideline thing. So I had a list. I mean, I had, Unbelievable. I had a year's worth of loans that were that fell into similar like just doesn't make any sense reasons right why they wouldn't get it done but just simple stuff like that and i was like that's yeah, it. Like, is, i'm not hanging yeah, out here man this, is, this isn't good for veterans i wouldn't hang out either so i moved on so from veterans where do you go so from veterans i i got recruited to manage a branch for a company called rpm mortgage mm -hmm. i know where rpm um, is rpm great jumbo company out of the yeah. bay area um really successful mortgage company mm -hmm. And they hired me to build and grow a branch in Carlsbad. Um, but their licensing was the old DRE licensing. Mm -hmm. And everyone else had gone to um, DOE or whatever it was called. And so nobody in the San Diego area with a mortgage license anymore, unless they were truly a broker, was licensed that way. Because right. if they worked for any other lending shop, which the majority did, yeah. they weren't licensed that way. Yeah, you're talking about DOC. DOC, yeah. Yeah, that's okay. and, um, so to go from DRE to DOC, mm -hmm. you gotta do all the education again. Like yeah. it's not an easy switch. Yeah, it's not. And, and I was DOC. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, well, I have to go through all that too. And I'm mm -hmm. like, you know, it's a six month process. Mm -hmm. Like I don't know how successful I'm gonna be recruiting somebody and say, well, but, but wait a minute, six months till you can get a paycheck. Right. You know, like that doesn't, that goes over like a ton of breaks, right? right. And so they're like, no, no, you don't have to worry about that. We're already making all the changes corporately. It's gonna be done in less than 90 days. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, cool. So they put me on a temporary salary until mm -hmm. we got that all going. In 90 days comes and goes. Mm -hmm. I'm like, hey, what's up with the licensing? Well, and I'm like, okay, I, can I write some so I to give loans that I got I had to give to somebody else? I did this whole behind the scenes, pay me thing, and mm -hmm. it was just a mess. Yeah. I, they wouldn't give me business cards. I couldn't market, you know, all the stuff because mm -hmm. of the licensing. Right. Now we're at the six month mark. The licensing still, and this is the company licensing, you know? So I'm like, guys, like, how long do we, Right. Like, what are we doing here? Right. And, Work with me. And they're like, well, you know, we actually just need you to go out and get some loans now. And, you know, I'm like, but yeah, I can't even get a business card. Like, I can't market myself mm -hmm. because of the licensing mm -hmm. that you've been preventing me from doing the last six months. Mm -hmm. Now you want me to rent? Well, yeah, because we're, you know, we're carrying you on the salary and that's not really our model, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, now my problem. Right. Like, the licensing thing you told me was 90 days, we're now at 180 days. Like, what gives? Yeah. So, anyways, I was like, 
I gotta get the heck out of here. Mm-hmm. So not not that the company was bad, and I um, they were a great company, but this licensing thing was a real stickling issue. Yeah. So I um I ended up getting recruited to Homebridge Financial Services. Yes, I worked there, and um, <laughs> I got I got an area manager job working for them. Small world. Yeah. So um, I went to work for those guys. When was that? Gosh, I'm trying to think. That was. 2015-ish, okay. somewhere in there. Um, so I was the air manager for them down here. Did you um, work for Ron Burgum? No, but the, the name sounds super familiar. So Ron was part of Prospect Mortgage, which okay. Homebridge bought. They bought that, so that was that happened Ron right was, after Ron I left. Was my old boss. Yeah, that happened right after I left. <laughs> um, they were talking about that. Larry Stroud, Larry Stroud. Ron Burgum, know that yeah, name. those guys, yeah. They're old school, man. Yeah, Rick. They're uh, like me. They're <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to remember the names now. Um, no, it's all right. John Blank. But, it's okay. Um, so I went over to work for them and built two President's Club branches with them. Um, I have one up in North County, one down here in Mission Valley, and uh, doing pretty good. And the, uh, the company was going through some changes, and they got rid of all the regional managers. Mm. And my regional manager, I don't remember Tim Owens, that mm-hmm. name rings a bell. So he's my regional manager and really liked him a lot. Neat, neat guy. And um, they got rid of him. Mm-hmm. And I'm going, hmm, yeah. all right, well, I'm an area manager. And that's a little shaky ground, mm-hmm. you know. And all of a sudden, you know, the now my direct report was the Western Division president. Mm-hmm. Um, I really liked him, too. Um, but all of a sudden, he wasn't taking my phone calls anymore. Mm-hmm. And we talked regularly. And we had meetings, and you know, I'm mm-hmm. not one of his area managers, so yeah. I'm a direct report to him. And yeah. all of a sudden, you know, I'm lucky to get a hold of the guy once a month. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, was, it got real strange, real quick. Mm-hmm. And but my branch managers, he was now talking to regularly, mm-hmm. but not me. And I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah. I, I can see where this is going. Yeah. And then I heard rumor of like some area managers on like the East Coast. They're getting rid of area managers. I'm like, crap. They're just. They're getting, they're cutting, you know, the hatchet man. Yeah, well, Homebridge went through a cleaning house time. Yeah. Um, and and then you know, honestly, the reason I know about it is because I've got a lot of friends that. It was right before they bought Prospect. Yeah. Because yeah. they couldn't have all these chiefs, right? There's just not enough seats for everybody. Yeah. And um, Prospect Mortgage here in San Diego was pretty big, and they mm-hmm. had some big big people. Yeah. And some big longtime managers who you worked with. Yeah. Um, and those guys were coming. Mm-hmm. They weren't getting let go. Right. But guys like me. See you later. So I can yeah. see what's happening. So, actually, interesting enough, my, one of my um, escrow reps, he was like, "Hey, you know, you should talk to this this company that I've been doing some deals with, and um, they're super military focused. The president of it's like a West Point grad, like they're like super into the military thing, blah 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 blah." And I'm like, "I'm open for a conversation because I can see where sure. things are headed." So yeah. I'm like, "Yeah, let's set up, right, let's set up a call." Yeah. So, anyways, I um. Met up and I ended up going to work with and managing the Carlsbad branch for a company called BBMC Mortgage. Okay. Which was owned by a bank out of Chicago, Bridgeview Bank. Okay. Um, so the president of the mortgage division, um, West Point grad, name is Todd Jones, he was actually a managing partner with Guaranteed Rate for a long time. Okay. When Guaranteed Rate, I remember this. So when I was hustling loans, going to all the realtor caravans and I was still at Wells Fargo, mm-hmm. this company guaranteed rate was sponsoring everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, every realtor function, yep. it was guaranteed rate plastered. I remember that. And yeah. I was like, man, these guys are all over the place. Right? Yep. Well, full circle, when I ended up going to work there and met with Todd, that was because of Todd. Mm-hmm. So 
he was responsible for basically bringing them to California. And the owner was like, we ain't going to California. The market's too competitive. You gotta drive the margins too low. It's not profitable, blah, 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 blah. And he's like, give me a shot. Mm -hmm. I can do it. Mm -hmm. And he did. He had a guy that worked with him by the name of JJ Jarotes. Yep. And JJ is a stud. I was on um, a radio show with him called um, Mr. Credit. Yes. Uh, yes. With, with uh, Derek. Um, Evans? Evans, yeah, yeah, Derek Evans. And that's how um, that's how a bunch of my radio stuff, I ended up on ESPN Radio because of Derek. No kidding. Um, yeah, so I it's a long story, but um, but yeah, we're all we're all we're all connected, baby. <laughs> Such a small world. Such a small world. But I was on the radio as basically the real estate expert, and JJ was the military guy or the um, real estate or mortgage guy, um, with guaranteed rate and what a great guy. I mean, I still, to this day, I'm one of his biggest fans. I mean, he's super, super good guy. Super good guy. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's that's the, the connection there was Todd had done that. He had left, guaranteed rate him, the owner got crossways, but he built um, a consumer direct model for them. Okay. And so then he, um, you know, there was some banking crisis left over from the crash, yeah. you know, and some issues going on. Some of the banks weren't solvent yet. And so he had found this Bridgeview Bank in mm -hmm. Chicago, and he said, "Hey, look, let me let me build this. Mm -hmm. I will make not only make you solvent, but I'll make you profitable." Mm -hmm. And the bank was in real big trouble. Yeah. Um, and they had nothing to lose. They said, "Sure, go for it." And he built this amazing uh, consumer direct model for them, fixed all the bank's problems, mm -hmm. and um, amazing built how that works. Yeah, built built it pretty big consumer direct. So I model I managed their um, their San Diego office. Mm -hmm. For quite some time, uh, or Carlsbad office, I should say, for quite a while, and um, that was neat. I met a lot of good people, and they were very VA focused, mm -hmm. um, and so that was really good, really good training. They, mm -hmm. when you're a new loan officer with them, your your first week onboarding, three full days on the VA loan. Wow, on your onboard training, I never had that any more yeah. than I worked with. Yeah, it was that's, three full that's, days. That's rare. In depth, mm -hmm. um, so really got quite an education on VA there, and that's. You know, that really, really kind of made my focus. But I was, at the time, my focus wasn't originating so much as it was. I was trying to climb a corporate ladder. Sure. I, wanted, I wanted to be the Todd Jones, yeah. right? So that's where I was headed. And uh, so I was there. I managed them for, gosh, I want to say four years or so. Mm -hmm. And they had promoted some guys at some senior levels who wanted to show their worth. And uh, I was their highest paid branch manager. Okay. And for this new senior dude, that was good because my branches numbers weren't the same as some of these guys making less mm -hmm. I'm like hey look you know that guy's in the middle of, that guy's in Ohio mm -hmm. you know that guy's in Illinois like the cost of living is quite different sure. so it would make sense here blah, blah, blah. anyways um, they're like um, well we're gonna have to talk about maybe changing some things I said look I'm I'm loyal to the company and you guys like let's talk about it and you know, see what we can come up with mm -hmm. conversation never happened Six months go by, nothing changed. I'm like, okay, well, nope. I guess nothing's changing. Right, cool. Right. Just, every day as usual. One day I get this email from HR, it's a new employment agreement. That's like six months later after this conversation. I'm reading through it and I'm like, what in the heck? Like, just cutting my pay like crazy. Mm. So I uh, was pretty heated mm. and went into one of our executives' actually office with me and I walked in there and I said, hey, did you know about this? This thing happening? He's like, oh, I don't know anything about it. I'm like, okay, I quit. He's like, wait, wait, what? 
Yeah. Like, no matter. And so anyways, a couple of days go on and I'm like, sorry. Like, yeah. that's just, just because of all these reasons, I'm like, that ain't cool. Like, yeah. You know, just show up and, and chop my pay. Mm-hmm. Um, um, we were supposed to like talk about it, mm-hmm. but there clearly is no talking. So bye. Yeah. So I've been there. such a small world. So I leave and I go to Synergy One London. Okay. And I'm like, you know what? I'm done climbing the corporate ladder thing. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to go be an LO. Like I had for like three or four years, like pushed some of these LOs and I, a couple of them really blossomed mm-hmm. and the rest of them, I couldn't get off dead center. Mm-hmm. You know, they just weren't going to do it. And I'm like, well, shoot, I can't have my income be determined by someone else's lack of effort. Right. right? So I'm like, I can just go do it on my own. Right. I'll make more money than I was making before. So did you work with Tori Larson? I did. Yeah. Yeah. Tori and I worked together at Home Capital Funding back in the early 2000s. Oh my gosh. Yeah. He, and he's, he's a visionary. Yeah. He, he really is. is a visionary. Um, but then I got to work with JJ. Yeah. Uh, so I came on board and, and they had just a great corral of loan officers. Like, Derek was there too, right? Um, no, Derek had left. Oh, he left? He wasn't there when I was there. Uh, but they had a lot of other really great. Was Craig sewing there? Craig had just left and started American Dream. Gotcha. Um, that was when I that was when I that was when I left radio. So I came on when he was starting American Dream. I came on and took over his second hour. Yeah, yeah, second hour of his radio show. Okay. I had the Mike Litton show on KCBQ, and I took the second hour five days a week. Um, yeah. So that was uh, such a small world. Oh, dude, crazy, unbelievable. <laughs> so, so I I go to to Synergy and I'm there. I don't know six or so months. Yeah. And find out Bridgeview Bank, the bank, uh-huh. um, sold to new ownership, uh-huh. and the new ownership wanted no mortgage at all. Wow. So they were canning the whole mortgage division. Oh, and it was what saved them, right? Yeah. But it, the new ownership, and that's what they decided. So now, the mortgage division is shopping for a new home. Sure. They come across Synergy One Lending. Wow. And so Synergy ends up buying the mortgage division or merging with, I forget how it works, but they ended up linking up. So I'm like, well, do I just get my old branch back? <laughs> I mean, I'm literally down the street, you know, and here we're all back again. Right. Like, well, we'll, we'll talk about that one day, which the one day never happened. But oh. um, yeah, it was really interesting. So they were all back in the yeah, fold and all the same players world, and man. stuff. And, so yeah, so um, doing that and finally just getting back into being a loan officer again after being, I mean, I've been in management now for quite a few years. So now I had to go kind of rekindle relationships and get back to doing what I was coaching everyone else to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, at that time, I joined the core uh, coaching program, and that really helped me kind of blossom as a loan officer mm-hmm. and get things really going and systems and processes and all that stuff. And um, yeah, I worked for Synergy, and that really got me going on like the whole video train. Mm-hmm. They were really big into doing video and stuff like that. And I had met Craig there as a result of it, you know, in the same building. And um, yeah, they were ahead of their time. They were. And I had I had just started doing a little bit of video before I met them. Like I kind of saw like ah, there's something to this a little mm-hmm. bit, you know, using it not necessarily so much like on social. I wasn't thinking that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I was using it for at the time was I was sending it to like my clients mm-hmm. in an email mm-hmm. and explaining stuff mm-hmm. just in a video rather than typing a big old long email. So that's yeah. how I was using it already. Yeah. And then they had they were doing all this video. They had studios. They had editors. Like mm-hmm. they had the whole thing. And I'm like, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. And I was so happy because I'm, I have a, a marketing mind. And every mortgage company I worked at up till now, the marketing department was the no department. Yeah. They just tell you no on it. Yeah. You know, can I do this? No. Can I do this? No. 
and, and the people in the marketing department had no pedigree in marketing. They were just, someone got a job once upon a time in a marketing department and stayed there long enough to be promoted. Right. You know, but they didn't know anything about marketing. That's most mortgage companies' marketing mm -hmm. departments still to this day. Um, so I got synergy and I'm like, holy moly, this yeah. is amazing. And did some cool video stuff there and really started getting into video. And then you're putting it on social and, and all that stuff. And that really helped me from a social media standpoint. And then I really started honing in like on VA loans. And I hadn't created like the VA loan guy brand, but I was like, okay, this is my niche, mm -hmm. right? And I had really jumped into it head first. Yeah. Um, and, um, and then finally, the, the last move from there is the current company I'm at. And it just was happenstance. Um, my last, the, the last winter I was doing loans at, at Synergy, um, and this was a frustration I've always had in business, mm -hmm. but was the controlling of the margins, you know, and the executives always had control of those dials, you know, and that for, you know, the layman person listening doesn't understand that, you know, that's basically our rates higher or lower at my company than another company. Mm -hmm. And that's the margin between where we get the rate and what we sell the rate at is that margin, right? And so they would adjust and lower that as needed. And I remember this particular summer, I think it was 2018, Man, no one could touch me with rate. Mm -hmm. I was crushing brokers. I mean, anytime someone shot me, they're like, man, Jason, your rates are better. I'm like, great, I don't have control over it, but hallelujah, yeah. cool. I'll, let's, I'll, go. let's go. Yeah. Winter comes along and it's usually a little slower, but I'm okay month, stacked up, and uh, going to get people locked and everything else as we're in December. And uh, I'll never forget one of the my clients who's buying a house, he calls me, he's like, hey man, I you know, got referred to this other lender. I just, was checking his rates. I love you, Jason, but he's like, dude, he's five eighths of a point lower. Mm. And he's like, on this size to alone, the rate. to the rate. And he's like, on this size of a loan, he's like, that's more than my Beamer payment. Mm. He's like, he's like, I like you. And if it was like 30, 40 bucks a month, I wouldn't care. Mm -hmm. But he's like, we're talking like 550, 600 bucks a month. Mm -hmm. yeah. He's like, that's too much for me to say no to. Yeah. So I went to my, my boss at the time. I'm like, what are we gonna do? He's like, sorry, there's nothing we can do. There's no margin. Scratching my head, like, how did I go from this summer, no one could touch me, to now I just got smoked? And all of a sudden, I had like five loans going that month, which for December was a decent month, down to one. They all left the rate. Mm. And it was all because they juiced those margins so much. And I was so disappointed, so frustrated. But it happened to me at other companies in the past. So I, I knew it was happening. Mm. They all fire all the assistants and processors and stuff in the winter because business is slow. They jack up the margins. I'm like, that's such the wrong mentality. Mm -hmm. um, but they, all these mortgage executives do the same thing, right? They have this huge overhead expense. And I'm like, why don't you guys lower the margin and beat the pants off everybody and flood it with volume? Mm -hmm. You'll get to the same net result in income if we just do X amount more volume, right. lower the rates. Right. Of course, you know, I'm, you know, screaming in the wind at that point. Right. So I go to this like networking event thing, right? Um, not too long after that, in that spring, and meet a guy who's now the CEO of our company. And so we had this luncheon and stuff, and we kind of hung out afterwards and just getting to know each other and shooting the breeze. And um, he had built a couple mortgage companies and sold them. Mm -hmm. And he's he's my age. He's not he's not an old guy. Um, and he he's like, man, would it be cool if we could build a company that just you know fixed all the things we hated about these other mortgage companies? Yeah. And I'm like, ah, oh, man. That would be cool. And I said, dude, you figure something out like that, you call me. Mm -hmm. I'm interested. Yeah. And a month later, it gives me a buzz. <laughs> All right. So somebody else told me I should do this. So you want to meet? I'm like, yeah. okay. <laughs> so we just make Amazing how that works. Yeah. Make a T-bar graph. He's like, okay, let's write everything down. We hate about all the companies we yeah. worked at. And we just made a list. Mm -hmm. And okay, can we solve for that on the right side? And yeah. it wasn't all of them, but a lot of them we could. Yeah. 
And yeah, some of them you'll never solve. But some of them you yeah. can't. But I'm like, man, yeah. look at that. This works. He's like, well, I, I think we're going to build a company. And I'm like, holy smokes. Okay, here we go. Because it's the guy that knows how to do it. And he knows how to do it. Yeah. So that's you know where I'd love to where I'm at now. Um, and right around that time is when I finally was seeking some advice from some mentors of mine. And they're like, like, dude, you got to go all in on the VA thing. Because I was, I was in it, and then I was out of it, and I, you know, I wasn't 100% committed to just being solely focused on VA. Not that I don't do VA loans, but that's my major, major marketing position. Right. And um, so, anyways, I did. It was the best decision I ever made. Sure. But it was, it was scary too at the same time. Yeah, it is. Um, and uh, but yeah, did that, and we got our company going, and here we are. That's awesome, buddy. That's awesome. So we're up to today. Yeah. Now, one of the things that I told you I wanted to talk about was you just had a a seminar you did the other day. I wasn't able to make it, unfortunately, because I had scheduling conflicts, but I'm gonna go to the next one. But talk about what you're doing in terms of the seminars you're doing and the sort of value that you're adding. So I do two seminars, one a consumer one uh -huh. and one a realtor one. So, um, so the value that I'm adding is essentially, you know, as I've done, all these loans over the years and a lot of VA. Um, on the consumer facing one, I understand having been in the military that, and just from your experiences in the mm -hmm. past too, the military doesn't get told about their benefits of being a military member. Yeah. And that doesn't, it's not limited just to VA loan. You get all sorts of benefits of having served in the military, but no one teaches that to you. Right. And it's not, in my opinion, it's not the military's fault. The military's job is to make you mission ready. Mm -hmm. That's it. Mm -hmm. You're a soldier or an airman or a sailor, right? And that's your job. Your job isn't Mr. Real Estate Investor, right? But there's some cool, there's that's, some- That's where you and I differ a little bit. Well, it's not their job, that's okay, the military's the job. Here's the deal, the military's job is their welfare, okay? Yes. And I believe, and again, I'm, I'm just throwing this out there, but I believe that, and I know you didn't want here for a debate, but <laughs> they're, they're responsible for their welfare. And I believe a big part of their welfare is them knowing that they have this benefit available. And it's something that's remarkable, and it they don't realize it's zero down. They don't realize they can do a VA no-no. They don't realize they can do a lot of the things that they can do. True. They, they just don't. Yeah. And so my feeling about it is what you're doing is invaluable because they need to know this stuff. They do. Okay? And it's not just them, and I, I'm just going to throw this out there. It's not just them you're talking to. You're talking to all the people they know. Right. Okay? Like I said five to 55, right? So there's, you know, they talk, they all talk amongst each other, mm -hmm. right? And hey, I just went to this thing the other day and, right? Um, and so it's, you know, what you're doing is incredibly important. And so on the consumer side, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to sit with you and, and, and have this done is what you're doing is invaluable for, for the consumer. It's also invaluable for realtors because realtors don't know anything don't know a lot about the mortgage business and they know even less about VA loans. Sure. Okay. And they deal with people all the time that walk into their walk into their their open house and they're active duty or they're veterans or whatever and they never ask the question. They never ask the question, and I know this because I owned a Keller Williams office for 18 years. Okay. One of the very first things we would do anytime we ever had a situation where we had a, a challenge on the mortgage side is we'd ask them, are you VA eligible by chance? Well, yeah, why? Dude, 
right? You should be doing that. Loan. I'm not joking. Yeah. And these are loans that were that couldn't go conventional, but they'll go VA. They couldn't go FHA, but they can go VA. You know what I'm saying? Right. So I'm telling you from experience, okay, what you're doing for realtors and what you're doing for, for consumers is invaluable. And I really, really, from the bottom of my heart, I appreciate you doing this. Thank okay. You. Yeah. So talk about talk about the realtor seminars that you're doing. So the realtor seminars, um, I mean, basically we're teaching them all the stuff where they're where they're getting tripped up. Yeah. Um, and a lot of it is just is fear yeah. and misconception, and that, really that's is. that's a lot of it, right? There is there is this mentality in the realtor community that the VA loan is basically a subprime loan. Right. It's for the garbage of home buyers out there. Right. You're the bottom of the barrel. That's why you have a VA. Yeah. If you were really worth your salt, you'd have a conventional loan. Right. Well, I'm, I'm here to tell you, and the statistics will back this up, the, the profile of a VA buyer mm -hmm. has higher level of education, yep. higher household income, yep. higher credit rescore, yep. and typically higher amount of reserves. Right. And less default. VA the lowest loans, amount of default. VA loans are the lowest defaulted mortgages on the planet. Yes. Okay. By far. And they're zero down. Okay. Tell me how that makes them bad. Exactly. Right? right. That's exactly. I mean, it's and a lot of what you're battling with is you're educating these realtors. The ones you're, the ones that they're going to need to educate and you're going to need to educate are the listing agents because these listing agents, for whatever reason, have this negative connotation when it comes to or negative opinion when it comes to VA loans. It's probably because they've dealt with people that didn't know what they were doing in the past. Totally. Right. And maybe they've, you know, it may be from experience or whatever, but. The fact of the matter is, what you're doing is invaluable in terms of teaching people what they need to know about this. Because a benefit in and of itself is nothing if you can't use it. Right. Okay? Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we talk about that a lot. And I think, you know, when I when I come up against a listing agent mm -hmm. or, you know, someone in one of those classes who is now like, oh, well, it's not the VA loan I don't like. Mm -hmm. It's now the inspections or the appraiser mm -hmm. or something to that effect, you know, because they never want to be like, oh, I'm not discriminating. Right. Uh, but ultimately, they just it's just a lack of knowledge, yeah. right? And so, so what we're teaching them is, you know, the things they didn't know, right, which we just discussed on the comparison between loan products and the profile of that consumer. Mm -hmm. And then talking to them about, okay, what is this VA appraisal, the minimum property requirements, the pest inspection, what is this stuff? Why mm -hmm. is it required? Why is it there? Why does it feel like such a hurdle? Mm -hmm. It's not a hurdle. But they don't understand that till till they sit through the class and right, it, right? right. And, and the reason that the VA has these things in place, which arguably I think conventional loans should as well. I do too. Um, but the reason you have the minimum property requirements on a VA appraisal and the pest inspection is because the VA wants to make sure that its borrower is not put in harm's way. Right. They want to make sure there's no health. Or safety concerns. Trying to protect them. They're trying to protect them. Yeah. Right. This is somebody's home. Right. right. You're spending a and lot if you're of time a realtor, you should want to protect them too. Yeah. Because wouldn't you think there's some liability on you as the realtor if you're selling a dog shit product? True. Right. And here's the thing: the real estate community, unfortunately, unfortunately, the real estate community is all about the easy way out. Okay. If it's easy and it gets them paid faster. They're all about it. That's not the way we need to be focused. And by the way, one of the things I'm doing is I'm writing a book for realtors on how to succeed in real estate, but how to succeed in real estate the correct way, right? One of the least favorite things in the world, one of the least favorite terms for me in the world is hacking, 
okay? None of this stuff is a hack, okay? You either do it right and you do it with the, with the consumer in your focus or as your focus or get out of the business, okay? That's simple. That's the way I look at it. You now, that's probably right. a little too hard-nosed, yeah. but it is what it is. This is not a business that you get into so you can get paid quick and everybody else is, is a victim of it. That's not the way this thing works. Your job as the expert, and you know this, your job as the expert is to take care of them. VA, all VA's mission is, is to take the best care of the, of the veteran they possibly can, period. That's it, that's it. Yeah, and it gets, it gets hung up. You know, it's funny, there was, a, um, I was just in like a Facebook chat about this the other day, and another friend of mine who's a big VA lender in the Midwest, and he just you know raised the question just to get the reaction from people, you know. Uh, but essentially he was asking that question on this stuff and I commented and he's like, something about like, you know, why don't you like, you know, doing VA deals because of the appraisal and everyone was responding to the appraisal in the past. And I, got, I said, oh, because we like to sell homes. It's easier to sell a home that can provide a health or a safety issue. It's too hard to sell one that's safe. Right. You know, like, but that's, that's ultimately the point. And I share a story, a real story that I had in my class about um, a real live deal. So. I had done a refinance for an uh, elderly couple, veteran couple up in Northern California many years ago. And um, so we're doing the refinance and I was just asking them some questions about their purchase mm -hmm. and how that went because they were in an FHA loan. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, well, how come you're a vet and you're, you did an FHA loan, you didn't do a VA loan just out of the gate, just out of curiosity. Most often when I ask people that question, and if I was on an event on Camp Pendleton years ago and I got this response a lot, and ask them, hey, do you own a home? Yeah, did you use your VA loan? No, and they'd say, why? What did you use? Oh, well, I use an FHA loan. Why? My realtor told me to. Mm -hmm. My realtor told me to. My realtor told yeah, me to. Yeah, this is they, the same. They all get told by yeah. the realtor, don't use the VA loan. Right. So as I'm with this client, I know it's like, like this <laughs> curse, right? What? So yeah. I'm, I'm helping him with his VA loan. I said, well, um, he goes, but we did try to use a VA loan. I said, oh, okay, tell me more about that. Mm -hmm. He goes, well, we started out, I was doing a VA loan, buying this house. And we got into it, and our loan officer at the time called us up and said, hey, the VA doesn't like this house, and uh, so we're gonna have to switch to FHA, and I had the money for the down payment, so we switched to no big deal. I said, that's interesting, because it's a regular house. It's not like a condo had to be approved and wasn't, you know, that kind of thing. Right. It's just a regular house. Um, I'm like, huh, the VA didn't like it? That's not a real thing. Right. So there was a problem. Mm -hmm. And the loan officer was trying to skirt around a problem. So tell me, did you qualify? He's like, yeah, more than qualify. Like, you, you see my stuff now, I qualify. I'm like, yeah, you do. And you're retired. And he's mm -hmm. like, no, I was working then, so I made more money. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, so what else? So we started going into it. Long story short, the house is on septic and well. Mm -hmm. Well, the VA, when that happens, requires they both be inspected. Mm -hmm. Now, what the reason they're inspecting them is safety. health and safety, yeah. right? They want right. to make sure they're not gonna harm anybody that's living there. Right. Well, uh, he's like, yeah, I don't, I don't know what the issue was, but we got it done. And so I'm like, okay, we'll move forward on the refinance. We got to do those inspections, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. So we get the well test back. Fail. Yeah. High levels of arsenic. Yeah. They've been drinking that water this whole time. Not only been drinking that water that whole time, his wife developed cancer from it. And his two twin grandbabies, one of the two, every time they came to visit grandma and grandpa, went home sicker than a dog. And they could, the doctors couldn't figure it out. And the doctors for his wife couldn't, you know, there's no explanation for why the cancer started. It just, she had cancer now. And um, I said, well, this is the reason. Mm -hmm. This is it. 
And um, so when you peel back the layers of that story, and why did that happen, right? Well, the reason that that happened is the loan officer at the time was trying to impress the realtor. Mm -hmm. Because in this realtor-lender relationship, there seems to be a pedestal that the realtor is on and the loan officer is subservient to them. Mm -hmm. And so the loan officer is always trying to do their absolute best to impress this realtor mm -hmm. to hopefully get another deal in the future. Mm -hmm. That's always the objective, right? We always want to do that. Um, but what he did is he skirted taking care of the customer because he was looking out for his interest, not the client's. Right, and the and realtor's looking out for the realtor's best interest, not the client's best interest. Correct. That's so simple. as he's trying to maintain his closing date so he doesn't look bad to the realtor and earn more business potentially, mm -hmm. the loan officer makes the, the decision on his own that we're going to switch and I'm going to lie to you about the reason that we're mm -hmm. switching. We're just get the deal done. Mm -hmm. So then maybe you can get more business from that realtor. I don't know if that happened or not, but that was the reason. So you can see the dynamics of the two industries working together and how that spit out a bad result for the client, mm -hmm. right? They're both interested in the deal and the closing. And I'll tell you, like, some of the pressure we get from agents on like, are we gonna make the closing date? When are the docs coming out? Is this done? Is this done? It's like, it's high pressure, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it's so much on us sometimes from some agents mm -hmm. that as the loan officer, I, I get where he was, mm -hmm. you know? Like, I, I can sense where he was. Like, man, I'm getting a lot of pressure and I wanna impress, maybe it's a big agent. Right? I want to impress them. Maybe I have a chance to follow up with them or whatever. And so he's just trying to do what he can to make this deal happen. And the realtor is probably riding him like, hey, I want to close two days early. Let's go. I know closing's on a Monday. I want to close on Friday. Mm -hmm. You know, like, and he's probably dealing with that. Hey, is the appraisal in yet? You know, like mm -hmm. all that stuff. And he's going, shoot, man, I got to make sure I measure up. Mm -hmm. um, but anyways, yeah, that's a real life example of why all loans should have to go through the same scrutiny that the VA does. Mm -hmm. But um, they don't. And... You know, you get that 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 thought process, that the mysticism around like, oh, there's the inspections; they kill all the deals. Mm -hmm. No, the property kills the deal. Mm -hmm. It wasn't the loan. It wasn't the product. It was the property. Right. You know, you you're selling cars. You sell a lemon. It's a lemon. Right. It's it's not the bank who financed its fault that the Correct. car sucks. There's no two ways about it. Right. It's yeah. the car. Right? right. And the salesman might have known something. Mm -hmm. Maybe maybe not. Right. So. So anyways, that's that's a lot of what we get through, um, you know, uncovering that stuff and the reason why, right? Like, Because I get the down payment question a lot, right? And during the pandemic, when money was free and everyone's cash rolling and bank rolling money and they're offering 50 or 100 grand over asking price, you know, a VA offer didn't stand a chance. Right. Because a lot of active duty, they don't have that kind of cash. They didn't just sell a big house uh, in San Diego to go put down on another big house in San Diego, right? right. So they're not sitting on that those kinds of funds. and they essentially get discriminated against because they don't have that big down payment or the extra cash on top or both in some instances. So in that class, I teach them, okay, here's the, the real down payment is a 25% down payment. The government's guaranteeing that. There's no guarantee from anyone else. Federal government's guaranteeing that 25%. Well, yeah, still, but there's no cash down. I said, okay, let me show you a slide. So I show them the slide. It's a black and white photo and it's, um, group of like eight Air Force uh, airmen and they're carrying out a casket with the American flag draped over it. Mm -hmm. They're carrying it out of the back of the C-130. Mm -hmm. I said, I want you guys to sit and just look at this photo for a minute. And now ask yourself the question. I just got three offers on this house. One of them's VA, doesn't have a down payment. Look at this picture again mm -hmm. and again. That down payment far supersedes the 50 grand or 100 grand or whatever it is those other clients are putting down 
it clobbers them. Why? Because they said, hey, for you to go sell real estate, I'll take a bullet. Mm -hmm. And that person did. Yeah. That's why you get to sell real estate. And you're going to now say, well, if that down pain is not big enough, it doesn't look sexy on paper. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah? Yeah. How many bullets you have whizzing by your head so you can sell real estate? Exactly. Zero. Right. He did. Yeah. Right. And so I think, price, baby. I think, I think having that image and showing them that reality, hopefully it helps. You know I mean? Hopefully I'm, I'm making a well, difference with some It's stuff. going to help with some people. Yeah. There are some people you're not going to, you're not going to get to, right. but they were going to, you were going to get to them anyway. True. Okay. Um, but this, this is a real systemic issue in our industry. And it's something that I'm just crazy enough to think I can drive a narrative that this needs to change. Okay. Has to change. And and we're going to get it changed if I, if there's any way I can get it done, you know, and that's part of why we're writing the book. So the first book we're writing, just so you know, we start um, January of 2024, so we're in a couple of months because okay. <clears throat> it's currently November of 2023, um, and it's on homeownership. And what I'd like to do, if you're okay with it, is I'd like to interview you for that book. Sure, uh, I'd love to have you be a contributor in the in what we're doing. Um, but basically, what it's about is. <clears throat> because of the Great Recession in 2008, a lot of kids that were kids at the time are now adults. We call them millennials, okay? Yeah. They have a lot of PTSD as it relates to real estate and what happened in the Great Recession. They watched the people around them that they loved lose their houses mm -hmm. and lose their houses and oftentimes because of fraud, okay? Yeah. There was a lot of fraud going on. So they have a lot of PTSD where real estate's concerned we're writing this first book on homeownership because we're taking the case to millennials that homeownership needs to be part of the American dream again. Okay? Mm -hmm. And we're literally taking this case directly to them. And the whole idea is, look, if you buy a house and things go sideways and you lose your house like you watched people do in the Great Recession, here's the remedy. You have bankruptcy. You have foreclosure. You have deed in lieu thereof. You have short sale. You have all these different things that you can employ that will help you save your credit and help you get back on your feet. By the way, if you go through a foreclosure and a bankruptcy, here's how you get back on your feet. And by the way, did you know that you don't have to wait seven years after a foreclosure to buy a house? You can use an FHA loan to buy a house within just a very short time. So, you with me? Right. There are solutions out there. So this is a book that's literally based, literally solutions based, and we're taking the case directly to millennials to why the why the American dream needs to include home ownership again. And right. you know, there's tens of millions of them, okay? So according to the National Association of Realtors, the average net worth of, of a homeowner is 300,000 plus. The average net worth of a tenant is less than $8,000. Take that $292,000 delta, and I know you're not, I know you don't like math, but take that $292,000 delta and multiply it by tens of millions of people. Three quarters of this nation's net worth is real estate. Our standard of living in this country is dropping right now. And it's part of it is what's happening with millennials. Mm -hmm. Okay? So that's what I'm getting at. So we're I'm just crazy enough to believe I can drive a national narrative where that's concerned, and I'm crazy enough to believe I can drive a national narrative where realtors are concerned. So we're gonna go do it together if you're up for it. I'm up for it. I appreciate you, buddy. Yeah. And I appreciate what you're doing. I really do. Thank you. And I appreciate you being on this podcast. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate you, buddy. Thanks. We hope you enjoyed another episode of the Mike Litton Experience. If you did, 
Do us a favor, smash that subscribe button, tell your friends, family, and coworkers about our program, and wherever you get your podcasts, please leave us a rating. It helps us to connect with quality people just like you. And that's a wrap. Another episode of the Mike Litton Experience in the books. Reach out to Mike on Instagram at Litton Realty. Want to meet with Mike? Check out calendly.com slash Rio 760.